Welcome to another edition of the Brawl of the Lions UK podcast, episode 122, Elementary. My name's Matthew Turner, alongside a co-host, Tom, Ryan, Stephen, and special guest, Micro Mike. How's everyone doing, boys? Good. What's the episode name all about? Uh, so it, it's, it's meant to be what podcasts are, but apparently not today. <laughs> uh, the idea was that our GM is, is Sherlock Holmesian when it comes to the draft. He, he's got the micro. He's got the glass out, you know, and he's he's able to find the picks at the at the bottom of the order that have good uh, I'm sorry, guys. I'll, I'll start doing the them again. Fans had to hear that. <laughs> Shame that one muted. <laughs> sorry about that, guys. Yeah, um, everyone caught up on sleep through the draft weekend. It was a pretty heavy one. Yeah, it, it took many days to get right after all that. You think the hundreds of hours that went into scouting players to doing mock drafts to been away during that weekend. And then working six days after that, it was just like crazy. And it's nice to be back in a regular sync again, sleeping properly and uh, not watching game footage every single day without fail. It's a bit of a weird come down because it's, the draft is genuinely one, one of my favourite things of the year. Um, but it is exhausting at the same time. And you kind of, you get to the end and you're like, that was, it's, that was great. I loved it and loads of fun. But then it is a bit sad that you've got to wait 360 plus days to, to go at it again. But yeah, maybe a, a few days without mock drafts isn't really the end of the world. Oh, I'm so happy that mock drafts are over. I'm so happy that the dra- <laughs> it was exhausting. I don't know about you guys, but I was dead. I felt like a zombie. I didn't know what was going on, what was up, what was down. So it's really good to to be done with that and kind of see what the Lions team looks like just going forward. All right. I'm just about for a break oh. from sports in general. Oh, yeah. yeah let's let's not teams, talk about uh, any. No, yeah, that depressing. Let, let's not talk about any other sports today, please. Just 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 NFL. <laughs> oh yeah you know steve doesn't want to talk about any other sports anyway let's move swiftly on got a really really packed show for you today obviously you can see that micro and mike is in the building we're going to talk with him in just a moment then we're going to get straight into our draft review we gave our your uh guess your our snap takes from the draft just afterwards but we slept on it a week and now we can give you some more analysis but let's just go over some housekeeping and some news to kick us off Don't forget to join our Discord channel. That's the place where you can chat to us directly all the way through the week, as well as join a really vibrant and and friendly community of Lions fans. DM us us on Twitter if you want to join that. College Football Podcast, the back catalogue of that is available for you to listen to. If you want to listen to Ryan and Ant's takes all the way up to the draft, all the way through the season and how things kind of ebbed and flowed all the way through, please do go and listen to that. Don't forget to like and sub to the to the podcast on this episode all that good stuff and don't forget our friends at lnu as well herman moore and micro mike and all the best guys are there download the app you'll be able to find us there as well as the best hobby content creators in the 
business. And we are a Twitch affiliate. If you do want to go over to Twitch, we want to suggest some custom emotes that we can put on there, then they're very, very welcome. If you've got a an Amazon Prime subscription and therefore a Twitch Prime subscription for free that you can chuck us our way. We're not worth the paid for stuff, but any of the free stuff, gladly take that off Jeff Bezos. Um, right, a couple of bits of news which actually came out mostly today, one a bit earlier on. Per Albert Breer from SI, the Lions apparently would have drafted Trayvon Walker to if Hutchinson had gone at number one. Not sure how much you guys believe in that. And then today, two of our draft picks have agreed to terms, although Strictly speaking, I must say, because I'll take Jeremy Reisman on his word here, they have not signed those deals to the point they have not actually signed on the dotted line. They've just agreed terms. I mean, I'm sure they will sign in the next day or two, but Hutchinson has agreed a four-year $35.7 million deal, including $23.2 million guaranteed. And Chase Lucas, the seventh-round pick cornerback, he's agreed to a four-year $3.8 million deal. Let's start with... Trayvon Walker, are you guys buying this smoke? Because we do know that if there's one thing about the Lions front office that we can say, it's that they do like their athletic guys, their good testers, and their studious guys. And we know that Walker kind of ticks all of those boxes. Are you are you buying this smoke? I think it's a load of balderdash. I don't, I don't think they had any any intention of taking him whatsoever it's probably just things say oh yeah they would have taken him if he was there but the interest was real in hutch the interest was real in cave on even in the amount of work they did on him and there was just never that same feeling that same vibe about trayvon walker going there as well and i mean and even if it is true we you know thankfully we've got one of the worst run teams in the nfl picking number one in front of us who make stupid decisions and a stupid decision they did make to our benefit. So I don't think he'd be here even if Hutch went first. I think Kayvon was going to go. If Hutch goes first, I was pretty much convinced Kayvon was going to be the pick because I thought it was going to be the pick anyway. Like I say, they seemed so to do such due diligence on him. Picking Trayvon Walker, well, I'm glad we didn't because that would have put me in a bad mood for all of the first round because he has got huge potential to bust going with a super athletic guy these days don't seem to pan out that often so I'm I'm really glad we didn't do it and I'm glad we weren't given the opportunity to do it Yeah I think um, you know, it, it's interesting to think back to November, December and it was always going to be Hutchinson and then it kind of seems that there's just been a massive amount of smoke you know since the Super Bowl um, you know Hutchinson was the obvious pick is obvious culture fit um, and a massive need for us. So I'm just glad we didn't overthink it. I mean, with these things, you never know, right? But I think the way the quarterback situation played out with obviously none going until the third round is a good indicator of how much the insiders really know about the draft. And that's not a big slight. It's more like teams want to keep this information in for a number of reasons. And I just, I refuse to believe they hand it out easily afterwards so um it wouldn't have surprised me if walker was the pick i probably would have expected thibodeau but I, it, it just feels like trying to get clicks at this stage right yeah yeah apart from Pickett in in round one yeah the, the guys fell a long long way mike we saw your reaction uh when you were with um our man herman moore to aiden hutchinson that that was circulating around the internet you were happy with that pick by the looks of it but what would you have made of, of trayvon walker at two 
Well, if it was Trayvon Walker at two, it would be the opposite of that reaction. I'm <laughs> I may have just walked off screen. I was not a big fan of Trayvon Walker. I really didn't understand it. I don't understand. I believe in stats. His stats in college is not showing a lot. He was with an all pro, I feel like, defense there in Georgia. So why would you go to that when you had Kayvon Thibodeau, in my opinion, is better. Not the biggest Thibodeau fan, but I would not have been happy. But when they took Aiden Hutchinson, I knew there was no Trayvon Walker to Detroit. That's why you see me exuberant. So it was like a double win. I'm getting the guy who I want, and then I'm getting the guy who I – or I'm not getting the guy who I don't want. We'll talk about the contracts and the draft picks in just a little moment. But, Mike, let's just take a little time and, and talk about you. Um, so first of all, you can find this channel on Lions Talk with Micro Mike by Chat Sports on YouTube at Micro Mike 85 on Twitter. And Mike, I've known you for quite a while. We met in Detroit in on Thanksgiving. That was really cool. But we've been on on Zooms before, especially you know with Herman and the, and the LNU guys. But when I knew that we were getting you on, I thought I kind of delve into the back catalogue with your channel and the, kind of the first few episodes and see kind of like your journey from there to here and I mean your rise has been meteoric you know like kind of the number of views that you have on your first few videos is somewhat where we are about now really if not even slightly ahead of that but you've gone from that to you know five five digit subs you're 20 20 odd thousand subs now which is absolutely crazy yeah yeah it's crazy how huh? I don't even know how it happened. I remember the first time I went live, I think I was a little, you know, tipsy, a little bit of drink there. I didn't really know how to talk a whole lot. Well, there you go. And, um, you know, I just came out of kind of out of nowhere and uh, he was making videos. Chat Sports got a hold of me and I said, let's do it. You know, let's let's talk some Detroit Lions on there. And then ever since there, my channel kind of went a little bit higher each day. And uh, with their help, you know, it's getting there. But definitely you guys are going to get there. You'll get there. It takes a little bit of time. <laughs> one day, one day. Um, and we've—I found out from you know the last few times that we've talked, you know, that you're a, a military veteran, and you know that that's a really big part of your identity and, and how you view the world. Um, and also, I think it's the third video on your channel. You kind of document, um, you know, a, a medical issue that you had. You you didn't think be able to lift again or have a feeling in one of your arms or something and like it documents you kind of getting back to fitness and stuff which was really powerful to me actually and it was only like a five or ten minute video but it, it showed so much about you and it, I don't know I, I just came away like this guy is committed do you know what I mean oh yeah so I had injuries sustained I have a really bad spine and when I got back from from the Middle East uh, I was on hydrocodone for seven years, taking that five, six times a day because of my spine was so bad. And before I started YouTube, I found out there was a disease in my spine. It ate it all away. So I had to have emergency surgery. They told me I'd probably never have feeling on my left side again. There's a good chance that, you know, that you're not going to have hand movement. And so when I woke up, I didn't feel my left side. They said, well, you know, it may come back. It eventually did come back. They said, you can't lift weights again. You can't be active. Well, I beat that odds. And so I, I worked back up to, to being kind of a normal human being. And it really, man, it, was a, it was a tough experience. And, you know, going through, going through that was difficult. And I appreciate 
debt fan man there thank you for your service but that's it's kind of like how the youtube game is you know you feel like you're you're never getting anywhere and then all of a sudden it just pops off and if you work hard enough you'll get it yeah i mean the scar on the back of your neck is you know severe like it, it like was like shit that's mega man so <laughs> <laughs> like you coming back and just lifting those weights is really really powerful especially with what you said about you know the lack of feeling and stuff so that's crazy you've been doing the channel for three years what would you say has been the best moment on your channel if, if someone if you had to point someone to one video that you've done over all that time if you can narrow it down to one is there anything that kind of sticks out to you Oh, the the best video I think I've ever done was announcing that I signed with Chat Sports. That was huge for my channel as well as for the Detroit Lions because they have a big platform. And my goal was always to get a different perspective regarding the Detroit Lions. As you know, media dislikes our team. They, they dislike the city. And so my my goal starting YouTube was, well, let's get a different perspective, not what legacy media, what ESPN thinks. You know, we're just a terrible team terrible you know city everything's bad so when i signed a deal and i got to tell everybody about it it was really it was a big moment for my channel and you know changing the narrative here in detroit and then you've been a, a lions fan for a long time but if there was one moment from your lions fandom that maybe you could pick out i mean i know how hyped you were for the tj hawkinson pick because of my research into you this week you were super hyped for that pick but maybe maybe another moment from the fandom oh big fan moment i think i don't know if you guys remember this but we we're playing the uh the chargers at the time this was i think 2011 the detroit lions were beating on the chargers i think it was christmas eve it was for us to make the playoffs for the first time in forever and when cliff averill did that pick six on the defensive line to basically secure the win for the detroit lions to go to the playoffs and hearing the crowd Scream playoffs, playoffs. It brought chills down my spine. I think that was the, the best moment ever being a Detroit Lions fan, just seeing the, the fans finally get back to the winning ways. We yearn for them again, Mike. Um, <laughs> let's, let's crack on with the draft review now. And those of you who are perhaps on with a little slight blip before we started know that there is a winner to announce from the mock draft. And it gives me absolutely no pleasure to announce that the winner of the mock draft and the recipient of a drink from every single other person who participated was Steve. He managed to predict Aiden Hutchinson to Detroit, Ahmad Gardner to the Jets, Garrett Wilson um, going to the Jets as well, and then Chris Olave to New Orleans, but not in the right pick. Trent McDuffie to um, no, Trent McDuffie at pick 21 and Kaya Elam to Buffalo. No, Kaya Elam to, yeah, um, Buffalo. So that got him nine points. We actually went nine, eight, seven, six, five, four all the way down. No one got the same score. So in order, Ant was second, uh, Luke G was third, Tom was fourth, I was fifth, and unfortunately, bringing up the rear. Ryan McCluskey with four points. But it proves just how hard this is. The, the most number correct in terms of right pick, right team was three, which was done by Steve and Luke. You know, out of 32, it just proves how crazy round one was, really. And 
like Tom said, how little the insiders knew, because really that's all we have to go off, apart from our own feeling on what's going to happen too. But congratulations to Steve, and I look forward to you having all of your drinks all at once in a dirty pint. We didn't yeah. say how we were giving them to you. <laughs> <laughs> or, or what? We'll, we'll get to that. I mean, Steve, firstly, huge congratulations. Uh, thoroughly deserved. Or is it? Because let's be honest. No, don't congratulate him. We, we did the mock draft like 10 days before. If anything, I'd say the results are the reverse order of what they should be. Because 10 days before, you were miles out and only because everything changed. So I like to think, actually, wait, did I come in the top half or the bottom half? Uh, middle. Yeah, still works then. Uh, yeah, it should, <laughs> should have been the reverse order. I'll send him a kind of iron bro. <laughs> I think um, at least Tom, you you did win the saltiest comment on the McDraw on the McDraw because I think um, when I made the third pick that I got right, you, you just went, "Oh, that was lucky," and I was like, well, "That's kind of the point." Debt <laughs> <laughs> um, fan man has made a really good point. What about prize for the Pick'em League? Um, we haven't actually thought about prize, and I haven't actually graded it yet either. So apologies, Debt fan man. It's been a very busy week in the Turner household because I'm getting a kitten. So that should be with us this week. Um, but that's been a lot of hard work, actually. You wouldn't think it would be, but it has been. I'm going to get around to, to drafting the, uh, drafting, grading the, the pick'em that we did probably at some point this week. And we'll reveal that on our next show. Um, as surprises, I leave that to everyone to think about. Uh, right. The draft. The Lions. Oh, so, a person called Rene Bugner on Twitter um, did a very famous graph that aggregated 18 draft rankings from all around the NFL, and the Lions' GPA was fifth in the NFL. So an average of what everyone thought about, fifth out of 32. And number two, the edge agent Aiden Hutchinson from Michigan. Then we traded up with the Vikings, 12 and 46 for 32, 34 and 66 in a shock move, then taking Jameson Williams of wide receiver from Alabama. With 46, the edge defender Josh Pascal from Kentucky, 97, the safety Kirby Joseph from Illinois, 177, Titan James Mitchell from Virginia Tech, and then a trade down with Philadelphia, 181 for 188 and 237. 188 was then the linebacker Malcolm Rodriguez from Oklahoma State. 217 was the edge defender slash linebacker James Houston from Jackson State, and finally at 237 the cornerback Chase Lucas from Arizona State. And let's kick this off by talking about Aiden Hutchinson. I do have an article on Aiden coming out probably in the next few days. Um, but we know all about Aiden Hutchinson, supremely athletic player, one of the most athletic players ever to test in the, in the combine with a RAS of 9.88. His three-cone time of 6.73 is the second fastest of any edge defender all time. Um, I did have the pleasure, actually, this week of listening to the Hutch pod on PFF. I, everyone knows that he did that. But I actually didn't waste my time listening to it until we took him because, honestly, that's four hours of my life I'm not getting back if he goes elsewhere. And at that point, he was going to Jacksonville. So there seemed to be a little point. What's amazing to me about that interview is, so his short shuttle was 4.15 seconds, his three cones, 6.73. 6.73, second in time. When he was at his um, academy in LA kind of training up for the draft, 
it was revealed that his fastest unofficial time, stopwatch times, by apparently reportedly slow clockwatch users, you know, someone who's not going to give you a particularly um, generous time. He was clocked with a short shuttle of 3.9 seconds and a three-cone time of 6.4 at his fastest, which, I mean, is up there with the fastest of any position all time at 260 pounds, which is just incredible. And I've watched two games in the last week of his, um, all in all, and I've got one or two more to, to look at before I actually release the article, but it's really feeling quite a lot to me. So the first of all, I, I watched Nebraska and Penn State in 2021. The Nebraska game, one of only two games with no tackles for a loss in 2021. I wanted to get a flavour of what a game was like where perhaps he isn't racking up those stats. And then I decided I'd have a look at Penn State. Uh, and that's a game where he went and got three sacks. But actually, per PFF, was his worst game of the 2021 season, which doesn't seem to marry up. So I wanted to see what happened there. The majority of the time in the 2021 season, he's lining up at five or seven tech, whereas in previous years, he'd lined up all over the line. So in his freshman year, in his, um, in his sophomore year, he was lined up in the interior quite often to get him in because the edge rushers for Michigan at that time were keeping him out of that position. But uh, in the most recent season, primarily playing either the rush or the force edge positions, um, what you hear about his motor and about him being relentless is absolutely true. You see it on every single snap. The guy doesn't take one off. It's really, really impressive. And when it was all about, do you want Kayvon? Do you want Aiden? There was all this talk of, well, Aiden isn't your traditional bender edge rusher. But you might come away from that comment thinking, the guy doesn't bend. You know, it doesn't, there's no nuance with this guy isn't as bendy as this guy. Aiden Hutchinson can bend. Like, there's absolutely no doubt in my mind that he gets around the edge with speed or with power very, very well. But Kayvon is a freak of nature in that regard, and comparing them is unfair to Aiden, really. Um, he gives defenders constant problems, whether he succeeds every time or not. They're always having to work really, really hard. There's no easy wins for these guys. Uh, Nebraska, he actually gives them a lot of trouble the way through. It just happens to be that other people are getting the sacks and tackles for a loss. Um, one thing that is revealed through these two games with weaker teams, and I think it's because Ajabo is on the other side, is that he's rarely double teamed. And actually, I think when I come on to watch the other couple of games, I'm going to see, um, you know, against, against Georgia, for example, he is double teamed, he's chipped and what have you. This didn't happen in the majority of games. And actually, I think that does help him with stats. Uh, but the Penn State game is probably the best combo of tackles he faced in 2021. I think that's debatable, maybe with Ohio State. But left tackle, you've got Rasheed Walker. He was the 94th consensus player in this draft. Actually went 249 to Green Bay. So they're going to reacquaint themselves potentially at some point in the next four years. At right tackle was Caden Wallace. He's a four-star recruit, but actually held up very well in this game. Penn State held up extremely well against it. He got three sacks, but the first sack is a cleanup sack. The second sack is a strip sack, which is great, but he's forced around the pocket and actually hits him from behind after the quarterback holds onto the ball for four, four and a half seconds. It's kind of unfair almost to give a sack in that circumstance because that's not going to happen in the NFL unless you're extremely lucky. 
And uh, the third sack, I'm not even sure is his sack. I'm pretty sure he's the second guy to, to hit him um, on the way down, but he was credited as, as his sack. Um, all in all, in those games, it kind of said to me that when he's coming up against some of the better quality tackles, that is giving him problems. Now, we know that he absolutely wrecked Ohio State and he was going up against people like Nicholas Petit Frere, who went, I think, in the second round. Um, so he has got the ability to beat some of the better tackles too. But you need to be doing it on a consistent basis against people who he's faced, that, that are going to be better than the people he's faced. So that worries me a little bit. But you just listen to the guy, and I know he's polished, but the drive is there. The passion is there. The relentlessness um, he has the occasional false step in his rush, which kind of worries me. But overall, I do think this is a guy who's worthy of the second overall pick. I absolutely do. Whether he's the best prospect in this draft, it's hard because I actually don't think the quality at the top is really, really high. And so maybe he's the best player. But does that mean he's worthy of maybe number one overall in other drafts? I think the answer is probably not. But in this draft, maybe. So it's just one of those things where the quality perhaps wasn't there at the top. But make no mistake, he is such a culture fit for this team. He will lead, probably be a team leader in, in after the first six or seven games. And he will carry people with him. It's the sort of guy that he is. He's lead by example, but he's also vocal on the field. Like it's, it's a really good combination of being able to be both. So I'm... I came away really encouraged with what I heard from him on the podcast, really encouraged with some bits that I've seen and slightly worried in others. Um, you guys, I'm sure, have all seen lots from Aiden Hutchins, but I just want to go straight to Mike for his take on, on the pick, what you've seen from Aiden. Look, I like his relentlessness. That's the number one key for me and his attitude. I feel if you there's busts in the NFL, generally it's due to the fact someone has a bad attitude or injury. I don't see no bad attitude from this guy. I think he's a Dan Campbell type of guy, relentless. He's going to ch help change the culture for the Detroit Lions defense. That is something we needed is a guy who does not give up. The last time we've had that was a man named Sue or a boy named Indomitian Sue. Never gave up, didn't care, changed the defensive line the way it looked, changed the ferociousness. We've not had that in some time. We got a name now, a face, that guy that won't give up, and he will help lead these young guys. Could there have been other picks? There definitely could be. We don't know. We'll find out in three years who's the best players in these drafts. We've seen it a million times. But is this guy going to be a bust? I don't think so. It'd be really difficult for me to say that. If I'm sitting at two, he's the guy I got to pick. He's guy. He's got the most stats regarding everybody else. He's got a relentless motor. You know he's not going to give up. He's going to fit perfect where he's at here in Detroit. He wanted to be here. Do we, do we ever get players who really just want to be here? It's difficult to find that. So you put that all together, and you get a perfect situation for the Lions sitting at two. It was not an Akuda pick. The guy's like, uh, I don't know if this guy's going to be doing too well or not. I don't know. You know what you're going to get from him. This guy's never going to stop, and that's exactly what the Lions need. We, we need to change the attitude, change the, the way that Detroit is viewed, and he's going to be a part of that. What about that rest of you guys? I think the, the combination of, like you say, that relentlessness that you see, if he was a, that's normally a trait you see with guys who are undersized, under athletic, et cetera. And that's how they've got to the level they have. But you combine that with his elite athleticism, you combine that with his 
obviously incredible agility, incredible hand usage. I love the violence he plays with as well. And suddenly you match that kind of almost ability to bully guys with that relentlessness. It's just so powerful. So um, I, I'm just very excited to have him a lion. Um, like I say, we talked beforehand, I had Thibodeau slightly ahead of him, but there is no way I was disappointed with, with Hutch as a pick. I would have been disappointed with Trayvon Walker, let's be honest. So um, yeah, it's it's really hard to be anything but excited. And I think, Mike, you touched on it there. I, I just think the bust rate is so low. Now, we've been proven wrong with loads of guys before when it comes to bust rate, but it feels like he is definitely the safest of these top um, top guys. And I never really bought into the fact he doesn't have a high upside. I agree that he maybe doesn't have the upside of some guys before, but you've got so many examples in the league of like when Max Crosby came out as a fourth rounder, no one was saying, oh, Max Crosby, he's got the upside to be one of the best pass rushers in the league, right? You don't know with these guys until they get on the field. And he's shown it against some of the best talent in the nation already. So um, would I be surprised if he was a bust? Yes. Would I be surprised if he was a star? Absolutely not. And that's a pretty great place to be. I think he's a really good candidate for defensive rookie of the year. Like I said, I, he will be one of, if not the top two favourites, I think straight away. I think the fits really well because the Lions have a glaring need for pass rush. Our star man that we just think to a big old contract in Romeo Quara, is he going to play this year? Who knows? We don't know where the rehab is. So that there is the need for someone to come in and take up that mantle straight away. So you couldn't ask for a better destination because there's very little ahead of him in the depth chart. He can come in day one, snap one, and he can take this defensive put on his back. He can be the guy. It can be all about him. We've got the complementary pieces, like you say. We've got uh, got Pascal. We've also got Charles Harris. They'll be a really good complementary, but he has got a pigeonhole position for him. There's a space there, and he just needs to make the most of it. Like I said, he will learn how to handle uh, double teams the better quality tight ends that may be able to give him a bit of a nuisance. That's where he'll have to learn and play his trade because some of them he won't be able to bully as easily, but he will learn that's going to be a growing pain. It is for a lot of edge rushers when sometimes the line's a bit stacked more on his side, so move him around. But it's going to be pains, but I expect, I'm thinking anywhere between 9 and 11 sacks is very achievable. What was the uh, name of the Penn State guy that Hutchinson played against? Uh, Rasheed Walker. I think. The, the Packers took? Yeah, yeah, Rasheed Walker. Never never heard of him. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we, uh, the trouble is, Steve, you know what the Packers do with offensive linemen? They just pick anyone and make them an all-pro. It's one of those sad things in life. Uh, look, you know, look, yeah, I know I've not said anything yet. I know people were very, I can't sit here and say that I love this because then people would know I'm like, because for the last few months I have not been advocating for this at all. But, you know, when all is said and done, when the, when the chips started to fall close to the draft and we sort of realized we weren't going safety, we weren't going Kyle Hamilton as I would have liked, you know, when it came down to the three addresses, never wanted Trayvon Walker. For me, my, my rationale was I wanted to take the guy who potentially could be better. If Thibodeau and Hutchinson both reach what I think are their ceilings in the NFL, Thibodeau will be better because I just think he's more explosive and he's got that, for me, that more big gameplay ability about him. But at the end of the day, you know, we said before the draft, if you're taking Aiden, you're taking the safe bet 
because there is less chance of him busting. And to be honest, where this team is, you know, we we can't really afford to risk on an all or nothing guy at this point. And, you know, we've said the culture fit is good. You know, he's he's a local lad. He'll know the team more. So these things all work in his favour over what Kayvon does as well. So he, there's a lot of aspects to his game, which will be good for us going forward. But, you know, I'm, I'm just more on the... I'm I'm not going crazy about it. I'm going to sit very tight and see how well he does, see what sort of an impact he has this year. I've made it known that I expect him to have a very good impact on this team this year. I expect there to be a noticeable difference in the run game. I expect him to be able to make a difference in a number two pick because his predecessors at that position have been able to do that. So, you know, I'm, I'm excited that we've got him. We needed an edge rusher. So at the end of the day, I am happy that he is here was not my first pick, and I'm not, I'm not going to try and say it was, but, you know, good on the Lions. I, I feel like it was a situation in the war room where I think Hutchinson was Campbell's guy. I think Thibodeau was Holmes's guy, but I think MCDC won out on this one. So we'll see how it pans out. Like Mike says, three years, we'll know the picture then. We ain't going to know till then. So Hutchinson is a Lion now. He has my full 100% support. As I said, everyone who was drafted here would, regardless of what I've said about him in the past. So... I'm excited to see what he does here. Mm. See, I think mean, that's what will define which one's better. I think Hutchinson will be a lot more stuck in, in the wrong game. Thibodeau will bust if he shies away from his wrong game duties. He can't just expect to be this explosive pass rush on every single down. He will have responsibilities. He can't just let guys run through his hole. He can't just expect that he is going to be going after the quarterback in every single player. He's going to have to be more of a team player than that. And I think that's where Hutchinson has a slight edge over him. I think he won't expect to have his number called every time and he will help the interior stronger than Kayvon will. The, the team player thing. So firstly, I want to caveat this with the fact that I said this when we were doing our roundups of edge players a while back and I just feel like I should be consistent. Um, I actually don't gravitate to Hutchinson as a person necessarily versus someone like maybe more Thibodeau. Um, and it's something to do with that polish. And it, I really, I got frustrated by the media angle on Thibodeau um, and what he was about and how he maybe didn't care so much about football and he's more caring about other things outside of football. So I quickly went down just at the start of this, um, Hutch's Instagram over the last two weeks. And he has promotions with Panini, Chipotle, Pink Energy, Hublo, Call of Duty, Courtyard Hotels, Adonis Jennings, Drifto Media. I needed a four-part podcast with PFF. And yet all we heard was, oh, Thibodeau. I mean, he does even like football. He's got so many interests outside of, um, outside of these all about sponsors. I was just, it just, the, the polish and everything annoys me almost a little bit. I think we've just got to let people be themselves. You're seeing it now with Jameson Williams and people saying, oh, he doesn't even look like he's happy to be there. And it's like, come on, guys, we're, we're better than this. But um, I'm really excited about the player. I just, I'm going to be interested as to, I think everyone's so excited to have him in Detroit. Um, and I wonder how that will play out over kind of the, the years ahead. Steve, you haven't really spoken on this. Um, I, I don't think there's anything about the player that the guys haven't absolutely nailed in terms of their coverage. Um, all I'll say is that for me, it's a situational thing. You, you've got pick two. Um, you can't take, I, I just don't think at two, you can take a risk on Thibodeau. Um, and I think you either trade out the pick or you take Hutch. Don't overthink it. I think they've done exactly the right thing. I'm really happy with this pick. 
I, I, I don't trust my care if a player wants to be here. If a player gives 100%, and even if he walks up and down that field all day and sulks, or he thinks about, if I do really well here, someone might come and trade for me. I don't care. As long as they give 100%, whether that's what, because they want to get out, or they want to wing a ring somewhere else, I don't care. It don't bother me if they don't show this happy-go demeanour, like, oh, I'm delighted to be here. Jameson Williams wants to walk around with a face like Fonda at times. Don't interest me, as long as he's catching balls while he's in Detroit. That's all I care about. I think so. things have occurred to me in, in my analysis when I'm looking through that I kind of didn't say. And, and to Ant's point about the run defence, one thing really stuck out to me. A lot of guys in run defence, if they're trying to make sure they're plugging gaps and they're not trying to penetrate out the field, they'll, they'll two-gap by kind of just holding their block, waiting to go either side. Hutch has an incredible ability to bull rush the guy three or four yards deep and still get off the block and make a tackle with the guys rushing through the B gap. Like he, well, while most people will hold their block on the line of scrimmage, hoping to go one side or the other, he can, he can pass rush by bull rushing and still do the run defense bit, which is something I've not really seen from too many people before. The other thing, which is huge to me personally, is something that I really love from D lineman. And it's something I hated about Jordan Davis is that Hutch is always the first guy off the line. He is trying to time the snap to perfection. Now, I think that might come with the old false start penalty every now and again. I think that will frustrate us, actually, in the first year, because I think you'll get caught out the odd time here or there. But it does mean that he's giving tackles a problem less than half a second into the rep, because he's already there, and they're hardly out of their starts. So... It's something I love to see from, from edge defenders because it gives you a massive head start because if you're already going 10 miles an hour when they're not out of the stars, you're away. So that's great. Anyway, let's see what happens when it's all said and done in the season. Let's move on to pick two. We traded up to 12 for wide receiver Jameson Williams from Alabama. He uh, transferred from Ohio State just for last year before coming out as a junior. He was the only year he had as a starter, 15 games, 79 receptions, 1,572 yards, which is 20 yards per reception and 15 touchdowns. He's convinced that he will have been the fastest player all time through the 40-yard dash had he tested, but of course, because of the ACL injury, he did not test. But you can see on tape, his acceleration is off the chart. But more than that, his route running ability, his ability to manipulate his speed, a kind of really kind of goes slowly into the rep, then go full power, hesitate, and then go full power again. Like, the number of times you see on tape him give defenders such a torrid time, not because of the speed, and then you add that in there, is is off the scale. I haven't done a research article on him as yet, but let's go straight back to Mike, Jameson Williams, Mike. Uh, Initially... yeah, yeah. When, when I initially got this pick, I was not too excited. Not because of the player. I love the player. It was the injury. Oh, man. You know, we're going to have get a player who is injured. With that said, once I heard he should be good to go for training camp and preseason one, the surgeon would love to have him play as well as the regular season. 
It's going to be a phenomenal pick if he is good to go. Why it's going to open up the rest of this offense. TJ Hawkinson finally does not have to be the guy. Amon Ross St. Brown will get open. The running game will get open. When you have a threat such as a Jamison Williams who can just open that defense up, it opens everything else up. That's what plagued us the first half of the year last year until we got Josh Reynolds. It was just not open enough. This guy, like you were saying, his route tree is the best in this year's draft. It was the best. Everyone talks about his speed, but his route tree was phenomenal. He could stop and go very fast. I have never seen anything like that in some time. This guy is a special wide receiver. Now, he's not the biggest guy in the world. He's not a Calvin Johnson, but he is a playmaker, and he's going to he's gonna surprise a lot of people with his route running and his ability to get open in this upcoming season. If Jared Goff give the football, big plays coming in 2022. And how about you? What do you make of James? Absolutely. This, this... Sorry, go on. No, go on. Um, I just want to say, this, this was a ballsy, ballsy move by the front office, and I love it. I didn't really think that I was wanting an offensive guy so early in the draft gone by but you know it was a case of we we needed a speedster in this team we needed an outside threat in the mold of Jameson Williams and Brad Holmes is like you know I'm not going to sit here and wait because we're going to miss out on them not like Green Bay who had to wait for Christian Watson in round two do you rather have Christian Watson or Jameson Williams they were aggressive they went up to get him and before I quickly talk about the player I just want to say you know we all say you know the bits we want to see on the next Inside the Den episode and that the one thing I want to see more than anything on the next Inside the Den episode is Brad Holmes's reaction when he gets off the phone with Quesi Adolfo Mensa and he's just rinsed him in league for a divisional I want to see how he laughs that this guy has fallen for it. I feel like you could do a skit, you know, with the impractical jokers, they're on the phone, they're telling you to do stupid things. I feel like they'd be on the phone telling him to make that call and go, oh, go on, offer a third round pick to move up 20 places to the Minnesota Vikings in the draft. And like, they're laughing their asses off because they don't think he'll do it. And Brad Gomes goes, yeah, they've done it. And they're just like, the hell? You know, that isn't meant to be a joke. That's what sort of that trade is. I'd love to see a skit along those things. We, we rinsed him. We absolutely rinsed him. We went up and got him. And, you know, Jameson Williams is, is a really great player. You know, Mechie was the focus of that team at the start of last year. Then when Mechie went down injured, Williams really came into his own. He had a good, he had a good season all told, but he is exactly what this offense needs. He is a guy who has burning speed. You know, he, he's a guy who stretches the field. And he's a guy who makes big time plays. And our offense lacked two things going into this draft. It lacked, it, we lacked a wide receiver one. We lacked tight end depth. And, you know, we solved one of those problems in the first round. I don't care about the draft capital because we used it very wisely. I think our value for money was insane. And I'm really looking forward to seeing him play. And the great thing is with, with Chark here and with Amon Rarin, you don't need to rush him in for week one. If he's not fit, then I, you know, I think we've still got weapons to win games and we can blood him into this team and let him take his time, like Amon Ra did. And we will see the best out of him. But, you know, from 12 months ago, where we couldn't name our wide receiver core, we had no one. We've got the best depth receiving group in the NFC North now. And, you know, the turnaround has been sensational. And I think he's going to be wonderful here. You know, screw what everyone says about his reaction coming here and being timid and that, you know, he, he strikes me as the type of player 
who they love. They've obviously done a lot of work on him. It's a staple of a Brad Holmes and a Dan Campbell draft pick. They work on them for a very long time. They work out the personalities because the personality is as much key as the skill. And he fits everything about this. So I love the pick. I don't give a damn about the draft capital we've wasted. I am looking forward to seeing them on Sundays. That is what the Detroit Lions needed. Someone to bring the fans in, someone who's going to put on a show, and he will be that guy. Interesting comment from Drew Forsyth in the YouTube chat. Mm. He thinks that maybe we have the best depth at the wide receiver position in the NFC. I'm not sure mm. I entirely buy that, but I'm struggling to think of a team that's really deep at wide receiver, apart from perhaps Arizona, who continue to draft well, I mean, wide receivers. Steve, we cut you off. Why don't you, why don't you take it? Yeah, I think, um, first of all, think back to how things went down in the draft. So, um, you know, we've, we've taken Hutch at two, and then, you know, everyone's taken the big names off the board. We get to the Falcons at eight, and they absolutely shit the bed and draft Drake London, like, way too early. But what that does is that has, like, a cascade effect all through everyone's draft board, and... I think it's incredibly smart and ballsy that Holmes and Campbell have seen that event and have reacted really, really quickly. Um, and, you know, they've not hesitated. I think Saints take a larvae at 11 and they know there that they've got an opportunity, but they also can see exactly what's going to happen because I think there's three tier one wide receivers on the board and Williams is the last one there. And after that, it's very much um, you, there's a big drop to the next level, and we know that like that's where the Packers are looking. So, for them to to make the pick, and as Ant says, absolutely fleece the Vikings. Effectively, we moved up twenty places twice. We moved from thirty-two to twelve, and I think we moved from sixty-six to forty-six, just for just for that thirty-four pick. I mean, when you think about it like that, that is fantastic value. But the, the knock-on effect of this, obviously, you know, is what happened, what it does to the NFC North. And, you know, now the Packers have seen all the receivers go. I mean, one of the funniest bits of the draft was the Packers fans' meltdown as one by one the, the receivers went off the board and the Packers just did nothing. Then they end up having to burn draft capital they paid a lot of capital to, to move up to take Watson. I mean, they should have just taken him, you know, with their second pick. Um, so they've ended up screwing their draft. And, you know, our move has just worked out well. And, uh, again, you guys have, su have summarised, um, you know, Mike did a really good job of, of, of summarising how Williams can be a playmaker. You know, forget about the combine and the 4.2 and he's going to run the fastest combine. In terms of analytics... All you know, what people look at now is the, the GPS time, and he's consistently running at 23 miles per hour. And he's absolutely going to torch secondaries throughout the NFL. Forget the NFC North, throughout the NFL. And by being able to get open really quickly, it, it just opens up Goff in terms of his passing game. And also, it just opens up, you know, putting our wide receiver three on someone else's cornerback three. And our wide receiver three is probably Amon Larson Brown or maybe DJ Shark now. So, it, it, and we've got Hawkinson and we've got Josh Reynolds as a wide receiver four. We are absolutely stacked now. 
behind that offensive line with two good running backs. It's just no excuses. You know, we talked about a defensive draft and I think we took six out of players, but like the taking Williams is the, the missing jigsaw piece. And for me, it's a fantastic pick, but it is no excuses time now in terms of offense. I, I love this pick. When the trade came in, if anyone watched the draft, we were all like Kyle Hamilton. We were all like hyperventilating, like, oh, we've gone up and that's where we got him. It was definitely not. It was a surprise. I couldn't believe it was Jameson Williams. And I think his reaction at the draft is he was shocked as well. Like, he was like, they traded up for me. I, I think he was amazed that we were brave enough to go get him. We would have been low on his pecking order of teams that would have been ballsy enough to trade up for him. And I think he respects the hell out of that. Someone that goes up and gives capital to go and get him, like they clearly want you here. So I think he's going to warm here very quickly. I also think there'll be no blood in the men. There'll be no way you don't let him on the field week one, snap one. He's telling you, I am going on the field. He will play preseason. He, barring any setbacks, he's going to be ready. So I think it's a great pick. Like I said, I've seen the slants, the digs, the drags, the skinny posts, stops, catches the ball. And then when he gets around the bend, the stride, he looks like an elk or a gazelle. He looks, he looks so majestic. He covers ground so quickly. Safeties don't know what angle to take because he's going towards the sideline and he turns up to feel against the pylon. I know he's, he's a candidate for offensive rookie of the year, surely. I think even if the lines aren't great, you won't be able to overlook the things because he's going to put some some highlight real play. I agree. It's time to put up or shut up. Like, there's been no excuses for golf this year. We have gone all in on helping him now. Like, you can't really say, well, he's not confident. Like, say, who wouldn't be confident trying to... He's got the keys to a Lamborghini now. We just need to keep it on the road. Yeah, I mean, you will summarise it nicely. It's... He's just such a fun guy to watch. He's got a gear that other athletes just can't handle, to be honest. And I think that will continue at the NFL level. Um, against Arkansas, he had two different plays. One where he ran a slant and go and gassed the guy for six. And then the corner respects him over the top. He just runs a normal slant and scores six. And it's just, what are you, what are you supposed to do? Um, teams are going to have to bracket him. As Mike touched on, that's then going to open up um, Hawkinson and the intermediates as well. And I think that's something we'll come to with one of the guys we're going to talk about in a minute too. It's a lot of these guys are not just going to have value individually in terms of stuffing the stat sheet themselves. It's what they can do for the rest of the team, which I think is so exciting. Um, and you combine that then with Williams's drive and the fact that he had a targeting penalty as a gunner on special teams, which just I couldn't love anymore. Someone who's willing to get that physical on special teams as a guy who's... Like he sees himself rightly as a superstar, and yet he's, he's out there thinking, yeah, I'll, I'll play SEC special teams, don't worry about it, and then I'm going to light a guy up in the process. So, um, yeah, was definitely surprised to see him as the pick at 12, but just love every bit of it. And I think if he does stay healthy, I really struggle to see a way that he won't be um, a threat in the league. I find it really funny that in the Lions highlight reel, that targeting penalty moment was part of it. I saw that play for the first time <laughs> today and I was like holy god that's horrific like it was it wasn't like he just led with the head it was a running diving header like <laughs> it was it was awful and, and awesome at the same time just just no fear and that's what you want <laughs> right with a guy who's a 
like you look at him and he's wiry is he too skinny how is he going to be tough enough and then you watch him play and you're like yeah he'll, he'll be fine he'll be fine out there so um yeah just incredibly excited and obviously we'll probably talk about the picks we gave away and Lewis Seen going at 32 and Watson at 34 and then you see the double move he puts on Lewis Seen to again score six against Georgia um and Seen in his 4-3 couldn't run with him so uh yeah it, I have no idea how he's going to turn out as a player I really liked him coming in um if he stays healthy I just don't see how he won't be at least a threat especially with that speed and opening things up for other guys as well all right, we're going to move on to our third pick. And Tom, I, I don't know if you're ready to speak on him because I know that you've been very busy um, over the last week. But I'll just give a quick bit of preamble first if you need to know anything up. So Josh Pascal at 46, the edge maybe sliding inside the defensive tackle player from Kentucky. Six foot two and a half, 268, 30 reps on the bench is super impressive. And that one five seven ten split. I think we may talk about for a while because that really shows off on tape. Five year player at Kentucky, although he was only a redshirt senior because his sophomore year he was diagnosed with cancer in 2018 and, and managed to make a big comeback from that. The only uh, three year captain in, in Kentucky's history uh, ended his his college career with 137 tackles, 35 and a half tackles for loss, and 13 sacks, including five in his final season at Kentucky. Tom? Yeah, so I will be releasing a report on him, um, but it's definitely nowhere near ready, I'm afraid. And I haven't actually got, I haven't had any time to watch him since the draft. But I did a little bit of work before on him. He was, um, for those who remember our hot takes, he was my hot take to go in the first round. Um, and I'll stand by the fact that if the Lions stay at 32, they would have taken him. Probably not true, but let's just pretend that it was, and, and I was right with that one. So um, I, I think what I was just talking about with Williams in terms of what he does for other guys, I think Pascal is a guy who I, I, I don't see as someone who's going to be a 15-sack person in the league, and that's absolutely fine because of what he brings in terms of versatility, in terms of violence, again, in terms of that trend that we see, um, and a guy who will open things up for the other people on our line. Um, and with the talent we now have on that defensive line, it, it just is going to be – he's not a guy that you can just leave on, on his own because you're like, well, we need to go double hutch or someone like that, so we'll just leave Pascal because – He's so heavy-handed. He's so versatile that how we're going to use him, I just think that's going to be incredibly valuable to us as a team. So, yes, he's a little bit of a tweener. Um, he doesn't have incredible length, although you wouldn't necessarily know it watching. Um, but he's just a very solid, well-rounded player who's going to be incredible in the locker room and I think is going to really force his will on, on those other offensive lines, especially in the NFC North. So um, I'm actually a little surprised at how much love this pick has got um, because I thought people might think it was a reach coming in. Um, a lot of media people have come out and said they're a big fan of it, which I found surprising, but obviously very happy to hear it. So look, I, I, he's not someone I'm expecting to tear up year one, um, not because he's raw as such, but just I don't think he's flashy like someone like Hutch is going to be or even a Levi I think will flash a lot more this year. Um but I just see him being a really solid player. Mike, I know that if we only have you for an hour, perhaps we don't have you for a huge amount more time. So I'll throw this straight to you, perhaps, to talk on Pascal. Okay, so 
I don't mind the pick. I know initially a lot of people didn't like it, at least when I was live streaming for it. They said Josh Pascal, you know, getting that edge rusher again. But he's more he, – he could do edge, but he can play interior as well. And if you look at the Detroit Lions defensive line last year, it was really bad stopping the run. It was absolutely awful. And I think – Having a player that can do that, that can help the Lions out, is all right. Was it questionable that Nicobe Dean was there? You probably could have got him as a linebacker. Yes, maybe I would have liked him a little bit better. But I'm not not upset about it at all because the Lions' defense needs to stop the run. How do you win football games? you got to stop the run, folks. And if you can't stop the run, you're going to get ran on. And guess what? We have a guy named Cook for the Minnesota Vikings who likes to run all over us. To win football games, we got to help do that. And... It'll help out Levi on pick and Ali McNeil, third round pick. So if we can help those guys out, I'm all for it. Let's just stop the run, help out this Detroit Lions defense much better than last year, and we're good to go. I don't know how much longer you have, Mike. So I don't know if you want to plug stuff now or, or are you good to go for a little bit longer? Yeah, I got to get here, continue my work here. But go ahead and make sure you subscribe to Roar Lions UK. That's the important thing, folks. Subscribe to their channel. Like their video. They're dropping a lot of content. And it's hard. It's hard doing all this. So make sure you go ahead and subscribe. Like the video. Make sure you show them some love in the comments section. Tell them some good words saying this is great content. Thanks for working hard. You do that. It means a lot to content creators. Make sure you do that. Show some love on Twitter. On Twitter there. Show some love on all the social media sites. And I know they're on Lions Nation Unite as well. Make sure you so show some love there. And, hey, if you want to subscribe to my channel, go ahead. <laughs> yes, yes. So, Micro Mike from Lions Talk with Micro Mike by Chat, uh, by chat Sports at Micro Mike 85 on Twitter. Mike, thank you so much for coming on, man. Really appreciate it. Hey, appreciate it, guys. Really, really appreciate it. I want to say, Anthony, you said an aw awesome thing earlier about the Ada Hutchinson, how you're not a fan of him, but you're going to root for him. That's what it's all about, folks. Rooting for your teammates. Rooting for your rooting for Lions YouTubers as well. So root for these guys. Subscribe. Cheers, Mike. Cheers, Mike. Cheers. Thanks, Mike. Right. Who wants to go on Pascal? I will. I will. <laughs> go on, Ryan. I'll, I'll what, defer to you first. What, what Mike doesn't know is that Ant's always saying awesome things. Oh, Steve. I'm actually going red now. I can feel myself going red. I've watched a bit of Kentucky, actually, because, well, I'm hoping that our future quarterback is currently playing there. So I was I was scouting other players last year, but I, I managed to see him flash. I think he finished in the lab top two in the SEC for quarterback pressures. I think he had 34 last year. So he he is someone that he's pretty relentless. Like you say, he's, he's got a nasty streak to him that I... I think Hutchinson's a bit of a gentleman. I know he plays ferocious, but he comes across very polished where Pascal comes off like he's going to be a bit chaotic. Like I say, he's going to run himself out of plays. He's going to run himself into plays, but he's going to make his presence felt. Like I say, he's not the biggest. He's 6'2", so the, the 260 pounds, like, it looks heavy on him. Like I say, the arms aren't too long, so he's one of those muscle shark kind of like really squat hinge guys. I think he's going to be really good on the interior. Bread and butter, like say, he wants to be able to help stop the run. And if he can get a release or if he can come up against someone where he's able to power his way inside, he'll be able to finish as well. Like I say, putting a running back to try to chip him or pick him up on a block, 
someone will do it and it'll be a huge mistake because he's going to smack a running back in the face and he's going to take off after a quarterback. He's not the fastest in a straight line, but he will give everything in pursuit. That's where the hurries come from. And hurries lead to sacks and forced fumbles by other guys because he'll flush guys out of the pocket. So he's going to be a good enabler at the next level. He's going to mix things up. He's going to make plays fall apart and hopefully there's going to be someone else to be uh, there to sweep up and mop up, even if it's not him at the next level. So what he doesn't take up in massive stats and figures, I'm hoping he'll do uh, helping other people. See, out of all the picks we made in this draft, I, I said it last week, I couldn't work out whether I liked the pick or not. And eight days later, I still can't tell you whether I, I'm so conflicted by this pick. Now, first of all, I love to say I love my Kentucky offensive lineman. You know that. The Lions do. They've taken one in the draft for the last three years now, or undrafted. So, you know, they like the aggression, the nastiness they bring. And Josh Pascal is no different. He is aggressive. He is violent. He is nasty on the line. And if he gets his way with you, you know, you're going to be beaten thoroughly and soundly. Where I start to have the issues is where, where do we really play him? I don't buy into this scheme versatility stuff that everybody is saying about him, that we can play him up and down the line and that he's going to be wonderful at all those for us. As an edge rusher, he does not have the elite bend that you need to be able to be an effective edge rusher at this level. He relies, and I did this in my scouting report on him, he's like Kayvon Thibodeau. He relies on his bull rush. He relies on his aggression. He relies on his physical traits to win battles. And outside of that, there's very little. There's no plan B in how to win. So I don't see him being as effective on the edge. And likewise, if you try and shift him in towards the nose tackle territory, he has problem with leverage at times. He gets his arms too high. Offensive linemen can get under him. They can lever him out the way. And there is evidence on the tape in the run game that's, you know, that supports this. He, he does have trouble with that pad length at times. So, you know, I don't see him going up against some of these nasty centers and that, these big guys and winning very much. So that kind of narrows it down for me to, I'll call it like the Perry and Winfrey territory. I, I want to see if you could, at that three tech area, if you get him in as a three tech in that rough area and you have him as this nasty disruptor who's going to buckle a pocket, who's going to be able to get to the quarterback that way, I would use him like that. That that would be the place I would have him because I think the style of aggression and the way that he plays is more suited to that rather than trying to move him up and down this line. The only trouble is that then gets in the way of what Levi on Wuzurike does because he is also that sort of three-tech pass-rushing disruptor guy who we've got as well. Now, I mean, you know, you could say, you know, well, why not have two instead of just one guy who's going to do this? But Trying to play them all together as rotation. Now, I know I, I said I wanted a defensive tackle for rotation, but I was thinking more interior nose tackle type, not these guys on the edge of whom there is more. I will be playing Pascal, you know, at three tech all the time, but I want to play on, on Wuzurike there as well. And you've got other guys you need to be able to fit in. So I just, yeah, schematically, I'm having trouble adapting to this. I think there were better options at other areas on the line that would have had a bit more speciality if you get what I mean but at the end of the day when all this is said and done you can't argue with the stats that he's put up in the SEC which is the toughest division in football and he ain't on one of the powerhouses on that line 
he's coming up against top-class offensive linemen week in, week out, and he's still been able to put up some really good stats there, and he has done well against the run. So the productivity is there in the toughest of environments. And like I say, he's coming from a system that produces nasty, mean, aggressive guys, which is what we need. It, 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 I think it's the scheme fit that I'm having trouble with because I ain't sold on his versatility. I, I just am not. I think he's got one position to play, and I think that's where you need to use him. And I think it just collides with some of the other guys, if you get what I mean. But by no means am I reigning on this pick. You know, I, 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 you know, we've got so many weapons in there now. If Levi comes good this year and Pascal and Hutch start well, <laughs> add in Aleem, and then you've got an embarrassment of riches on that line to be able to do whatever you want with. So I'm not unhappy that went DT. I'm just, again, I hope I explained it as to why I'm a bit conflicted well enough. And it's, it's really hard I would have to know the until... It's really hard to know until we see what this new four-man front is for the Lions, right? Because if they're going to run a lot, say, 4-3 under, where really your strong side defensive end is more of a five-tech guy, then actually I think that plays into his strength nicely. If you're going to stand him up outside or anything like that, then that's no good to anyone. So um, I, there was reference afterwards to them him becoming kind of the Cameron Jordan of what they had previously or what AG had previously with the Saints. Now, I don't see that uh, in that Jordan's a bigger guy and a more traditional lengthy guy and obviously it's turned into a hell of a player itself. What I would hope they would use him like is more like, say, the Seahawks, who played a lot of 4-3 under, did with Michael Bennett a guy who is maybe traditionally a bit undersized and you play him, yes, at strong side end at the seven tech sometimes, but where he was really effective was working between a tackle and a tight end or as a five tech. And occasionally then on third down is where you use him interior or a three tech, but without knowing really this line system, because we've only had this coaching style for one year and they said they're going to change it again. It's really hard to know how that's going to play out. So, um, and that, that's why I was surprised why people were so up on the pick because they seem to almost be ignoring the tweener side of it and going more to the, he can do everything side of it. And I think there is definitely a balance there. Yeah, I, I'd like to see him have a speciality, not try and be the jack of all trades. I, th I think that's where I'm going with this. But with the picks we made later in the draft, which we're talking about later, later on, I'd like to use him as the disruptor guy and blitz your linebackers and take advantage of it. I, th I think that's where he's really going to excel, making gaps, causing problems, helping his teammates have opportunities. And like I say, we'll talk about it later, but I'm confident that that's sort of how we're going to use him to start with. But he needs to improve that pass rush arsenal. That's one thing he really does need to do. You can't rely on strength alone at this level. I said the same with Kayvon. I'm still going to say the same, even though he's a second round pick you've got to diversify a little bit more. And I would like to see that as the season goes on. All right. Uh, Steve, did we come to you? I, I can't recall. Sorry, it's been a while. Um, no, I, I mean, uh, just um, I, I'll just to echo what the rest of the guys have, have said. Um, I, I really like the Pascal pick. Um, I think that what's, clear now in terms of a Dan Campbell Brad Holmes pick it's someone who's super athletic someone who who's got a real upside someone who's high character and someone who's a leader on the field and this is what Pascal ticks every single box for those I think you know that I think we're kind of overthinking the schematics here I think you just want someone who can tackle on the inside and stop the run every you know every season we get torched Dalvin Cook Aaron Jones 
you know, David Montgomery or whoever the Bears are playing in the backfield, you know, they are absolutely torturous. We need someone that can tackle. From what Ant and Ryan have said in terms of the college pod feedback, Pascal is a guy that can stuff the run. Um, and he's got some pass rush upside as well. A lot of people have described him as kind of like Travon um, Walker Light. And it seems to me like there's definitely some flexibility in his role and that Aaron Glenn really wants to play the new scheme. I think he's talking like a 4 2 5 or, or something like that. And it, there's going to be lots of jumping around. There's going to be lots of mi- mixing things up, confusing the offense. And this is where Pascal can slip inside and play, or he can play as a five tech. So for me, it's a really exciting pick. And again, no excuses. He's invested in the trenches. We've got Aquara, we've got Hutch, we've got Aleem, we've got Levi. Now we've got Pascal. No, you know, and bringing in Charles Harris, Julian Aquara, specialist pass rushers. There's no excuses that they've got to perform up front. We need to be crushing people up front on that D-line. Todd Walsh just became the most critical part of this rebuild. He has all this talent, he has to, and he has to do what Hank Fraley does on that O-line and develop it properly. You know, there is so much talent here. And like I say, I'm not, I'm not down on this Pascal pick. It's just he needs to be developed and utilised correctly, and that's where my concern with it is. So if Todd Walsh can come in and get the potential out of these guys, then this is going to accelerate our rebuild, something fierce. And it's critical that we do. It's critical that we learn how to use these guys properly because we do have the weapons to wear people down now. I mean, you know, you've still got Penasini in the middle there to come in. You know, Aleem's going to come on even better, you know, once the pass rushes are back. There is a wealth there to use all along that line. There's depth and good depth now, but it's up to that D-line coach. This is going to be a massive season for him. I just want to finish off by saying that for me, I really don't expect him to play much this year. I know that you guys have all spoken to potentially the upside, the drawbacks. I feel about this pick exactly the same way as I felt about Levi last year. I was bemused by the pick. I am encouraged by the upside that he presents. But even though Pascal isn't coming into this injured like Levi did last year, I fully expect Levi and him to play a similar role, even if they're completely different body types. I think that they're going to play similar positions in the NFL. And I think that Levi is naturally going to be ahead of that progression. If you have a look at how they talked about Levi in this offseason, about the fact that he's in the best shape of his career, that he looks absolutely jacked, he's ready to go. I expect Levi to be the starter at defensive tackle, at the three-tech position. And I think Pascal's going to be working behind him. And there'll be some rotation there. But if you see... 60% 60% for Levi, 30% for Brockers, 10% for Pascal. I think that's about right. And maybe Pascal maybe gets another 10% of snaps in a different position, maybe a five-tack strong side edge, as, as Tom was saying. Then I can see that too. But if he plays more than 20% of snaps in the entire year, I would be really surprised. And I think that people need to temper their expectations because I think he's a pick for years two, three, and four. I don't think there's one starter nailed in for next year on that defensive line anywhere. I wouldn't. I think they're going to battle it out in camp. I think if Pascal does better than what Levi does, I would expect him to get the nod over. And there is not one guy on that line I would pencil in right now. 
without having a trading camp, quite frankly. Even a Leem. Everyone knows I love a Leem to death, but you know, those interior spots are up for grabs. The outside spots are up for grabs. The edge rusher spots are up for grabs. I'm not even going to give Hutch a start at this point. You know, if Aquara's back and healthy and Harris is there, he's going to have to earn his start as well. It's a great problem to have. But I ain't writing Pascal off as not a start. Yeah, I'm not saying you should expect him to be, but you should fully expect him to be if he's better in camp. It's not a oh, case yeah. of even if he's better in camp, Levi will still get the start. No, he won't. No, that's fair play. I guess I'm I'm trying to temper expectations for him with everyone being so hard on the pick. That's what I mean. Uh, that's that's what I expect coming out of the offseason. But you're absolutely right. He's better in camp if he starts. So, all right, let's move it on to our uh, fourth pick. Uh, number 97, the safety Kirby Joseph from Illinois. And there is a really good piece written by Ash Soden, one of our, our newer writers on RawTheLinesUK.com. Comprehensive piece, got videos in there, got all the bits that you'd want to see in terms of analysis. But I'm just going to read a short line from him on the conclusion of Kirby Joseph. He says, Kirby Joseph, while being a one-year starter, showed deep, great deep coverage skills, reflected by him being the highest rated defensive back in the nation per PFF. Despite playing mostly deep safety, he also showed flashes of good run instincts, but was unable to fully act on these. This may be due to the scheme he played in, but is more likely down to confidence as the games went on and the season went on, his run defense improved in my estimation. Joseph is by no means a complete package, but he's fallen in a great place for him with a chance to play into the future of Javari Glenn and Aubrey Pleasant, who could be described as two of the best DB coaches in the league. In our scheme, he projects initially as a deep safety or three safety looks with Walker and Elliott playing closer to the line in the scrimmage or in split zones alongside Tracy with Deshaun and Box. That's what Ash makes in a very kind of short summation. There's a lot more to read on that, so I urge you to go and read it in full. But what do you guys make of Kirby Joseph, our, our new shiny safety at number 97? Steve, why don't we go to you straight off because we haven't haven't heard much from you on the top. I think, um, I mean, the funny thing is we've talked about, yeah, we've talked to death about the safety position and we've talked to death about, you know, the top sort of six or seven safeties and kind of this is a guy that I, I just think we all thought that the safety position would have been absolutely sewn up by the time, you know, Kirby Joseph's name got called. We, we'd have already got our safety. Um, but I think when you read in a bit more depth, and I know that I've spoke to, um, I think, Ant about this, and I, th I think you, you know, you've talked about Kirby Joseph. In terms of value, I think this is a really good pick. Yeah, it, it's not, I mean, we thought we might have a chance at Scene or Petra or Brisker um, or even Hamilton, but in terms of the value that we've got at this draft and we've still been able to get a guy like Kirby Joseph with a massive potential upside. For me, this feels like, I think we're going to come on to another value pick, but this feels like a really high value pick for the Lions. Um, and I think this is a guy who is very quickly going to establish himself. He might not be on our depth chart, a starter now, but let's put him through camp, and I think he soon will be. Right. He'll be. This is a simple pick. I don't want to see him in the box. He will 
he won't survive without thinking at the next level in the box. Just put him where he plays best. He is a ball hawking deep safety. PFF grade career completion of like 36.8%. He allowed very little. Passes defended, interceptions, incompletions. You throw at him, he forces him. Doesn't let you catch him. Like I say, his ball, his hand-eye coordination, it's fantastic. He knows when to turn around. He knows how to drag a deep ball. He doesn't let guys get past him. He's able to keep shallow and deep things in front of him. Put him in a play cover two and put him next to Tracy. Play two halves, like say if you want to play at that. Or he put him a just go deep thirds, whatever you want to do with him. He should be the deepest man on the field. And I think that's where he'll excel at the next level. If you want to challenge him and you want to take a shot at him, that's fine because he is going to make quarterbacks at the next level pay for it. He's certainly going to have to, like I say, I agree that it's going to take time, but you can expect to see him on the field for 60, 70% of the snaps within, I'd say, the first month of the season. Like I say, get those teething issues out of the way, weeks one to five. And I expect him, Tracy Walker, and Deshaun Elliott, who is the strong safety. I want to see, I want to see him as the SS. I want to see him closest to the box, supporting the wrong game, and let the other two do what they do best. I think he's landed in the best place for him, Varen Glenn, Aubrey Pleasant, and he held his own in a, a tough conference. Like I say, it's no slouches where he's come from. Illinois weren't the best, but he was the brightest prospect probably to come out of the entire team. And I saw a mocks of him going a few back. So he was getting a bit of recognition to the Lions before it happened. So a lot of people weren't actually shocked by this. It's going to turn out to be tremendous value. I think my bold take is I think he'll have three interceptions this year. Yeah, they again, like I said, that's the baseline. Yeah, like, like I said earlier, there's there's a clear plan in place when it comes to Holmes and Campbell. They they seem to lock on to their guys very early, and they will not let go of them. And Kirby Joseph was getting talked about for quite a while before the draft as a safety we should all be looking out for, and you know we went out and drafted him. So obviously they've seen something in him that you know speaks to the ethos of this team. I think. As a personnel guy, you know, by all accounts, everything I've heard about him is he's a great team guy. You know, he's a great character guy, which is what they want in that room. So as a person, he fits what this culture is. And, and as Ryan and Steve have put him there, he is a coverage guy. We need a coverage safety. We need a guy, we need a ball hawk back there, someone who's going to be able to intercept some of these many deep passes that get thrown on us there and you know I, I like that aspect of it and I also like sort of the general aspect of the Lions draft in general because the one place where Kirby Joseph struggles is in the run game um, he's too aggressive he doesn't tackle very well when it comes to the run game you know the aggression means he often overshoots where he's trying to get so the run game is not the strongest aspect there but we have invested heavily in our interior defensive line, our defensive line in general, and as we'll talk about in the picks coming up, with our linebackers as well, linebackers who specialise in stopping the run. So I'm hoping that there are not too many situations where Kirby Joseph comes up against the run, hoping the first two levels don't get breached there. He can just do his coverage stuff, which is what he is best at. So as far as the team is made up, I like, I, I really like the fit here. And yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see him play. I, I would personally have taken safety higher. Again, I'm not going to try and hide the fact that I would say I wanted to invest a little bit more in there. But if Kirby develops how we think he's going to be able to develop this year, 
that in next year's draft, if we're able to go out and get maybe our big safety one type guy, Kirby Joseph is going to be a perfect, great depth player in here. And as we've discovered, you know, with the wide receivers, with the edge core over the last 12 months, we've got our depth players in and they, we've, we've developed them. And then we've gone out and got our top guys. And all of a sudden, we've gone from very poor units to very good units very quickly. And I see this with the safety room now. I see us setting the depth in there this year before we go and make that big splash on the guy who's really going to go out there and do just about everything with it. But I do love, I do really like this pick. And, you know, I'm really rooting for the guy. So, you know, we just needed safety help. I just don't want to see Will Harris on that do, field do you, next year. And do you think... It- uh, do you think, from what you and Ryan have seen of him in terms of his college tape, do you think he's a good complementary fit for Tracy Walker? Yeah, I, I do. I think, you know, Tracy sometimes struggles in coverage. But I, I, I like Tracy against the run. And I think that, you know, I, I, I do like the complementary bit there. I do think Joseph will do a lot more of the coverage stuff. Or you can bring Tracy up, be a bit more aggressive against the run with him. And obviously Deshaun Elliott as well. So that, that that's what I like about this pick. Like I said, I think the team has been built a specific way. And I'm hoping in Joseph's case, he doesn't have to see much action facing the run and other guys can do it instead. So, yeah, I, I, I think schematically it works just right with him. So for me, I think it works perfectly in three safety runs, um, which is, you know, kind of being said before. Um in two safety looks, in two man, which is kind of how I actually expect us to come out in, in base defense. I worry about having him and Tracy on the field at the same time and not Deshaun Elliott because, you know, in your, in your traditional kind of cover two, two man looks, you might actually want someone who is better coming downhill. And one thing that we saw from Tracy Walker year two, year three, is that strong safety isn't his strength is not something that he's bad at, but it isn't what he's good at either. You know, Tracy Walker is a much better free safety. So I anticipate, uh, to Ryan's point, I anticipate Tracy Walker being the free safety one and Kirby Joseph being free safety two. But in three safety looks, in sub packages with three safeties, which I expect to do a lot, they'll both play free safety in Deshaun Addy, the strong safety. So I can see him being on the field quite a lot in those sub packages, I do wonder if you can play Walker and Joseph on the field at the same time in two safety looks and get the best out of both players. Because you think when Walker comes down, he'll need to lose a little bit. You, but you don't, though. I mean, you needed a complimentary guy for Tracy this year. I'm, I'm not disrespecting Deshaun Elliott, but he's one of many guys on this team who is a special teamer with potential upside in the first team. Tracy Walker's a first-team player. Kirby Joseph has been drafted to be a first-teamer. These are guys who have the skill to do that. I say Deshaun Elliott can't, but, you know, he's one of many that we're betting on can be better than Mm. what they've been utilised as so far. You know, Kirby's the coverage guy. Tracy can work well on the ring. Let's not forget, Tracy Walker has had zero help at the safety position over the length of his career there. So talking schematically about how he plays and that, he's never had a partner in there really worth his time since Quinn left. So I, I think it's a bit hard to say that he's he can't work with Joseph there. It's just we've not been able to use him how we want him to, and he's not had the support back there to help him. 
I think him and Joseph are fine. And I think for the development of this team, you've got to get your guys in there who, who are going to be here long term. And both of these guys, we've just invested in Tracy and Joseph, we're hoping is part of the depth group going forward for a long time. So you play them. Yeah, that's absolutely fair. Right, let's move on to our next pick. And at 177, it was the tight end, James Mitchell from Virginia Tech. Um, yeah, we, we can see what we can do, Steve, on that point. Um, Virginia Tech, so he was injured for much of the 2021 season. I think it was an ACL, boys? Yeah, it was. Something yeah. like that. Um, but in 2019 and 2020, one of the best deep threat tight ends in the league, 17.2 yards per catch in 2019, 16.7 in 2020. What I actually find interesting about this guy is in 2019, 11 games, 21 receptions, 361 yards, two touchdowns, five rushing attempts for seven yards and four touchdowns. So he was someone utilized in those short yardage situations in the ACC. I'm not sure that would translate, just something that really stuck out to me on the stat sheet. Uh, and Ryan, I know that you guys have seen quite a bit from him and were quite high on this pick, actually predicting it before it happened i think specifically and maybe you were looking at this one and what do you what do you see from him yeah i would just like to say that I, I, at the start of day three i predicted this pick um like i said with our offense let's take the whole quarterback equation out of it the two big things aside from the quarterback depending on what your view is that this offense needed was a wide receiver one and tight end depth and we did both with this pick and I highlighted James Mitchell. I highlighted him at the start of the college football season on the podcast there. I loved him. I was devastated when he got injured. Um, but for me, I, I, again, absolutely love this pick. He is only down there because of his injury. I'm stout in my belief with that. He is. People go, oh, don't get excited over a day three pick. But he's only day three pick because he got injured. But he is healthy again. He will be ready to go this season. And I just love really everything about this guy's game. So he is a good receiving threat. I know the numbers may not indicate that, but I mean, you know, I know people disagree with me in Discord, but Braxton Burmeister is an awful quarterback who throws passes here, there and everywhere. And, you know, James Mitchell has shown a great ability to be able to snag wobbling, misdirected passes out the air, contort his body, work well as a receiver. So you have the receiving threat with him. You have the trick playability, as you've quite rightly highlighted there as well. And people, I've seen a lot of people say they hate on his blocking, but I called him one of the better blocking tight ends in this draft. And I will stand by that. Virginia Tech are a team who are very smash mouth. They will run the ball a lot there and they need their tight ends to be able to block. And you know, he works in both the run game and the pass game. He will block very well for you. Yeah, th there are bits he needs to work on, hence why he's a day three pick. He's not elite in it just yet, but he has the physicality. He has all the traits that you need to be able to mold a great blocker out of him. He's very experienced in this role, and it just gives you a little bit of everything. And we, we need a depth, and I just think we got terrific value with this pick because, again, it's not a talent issue. It was just an injury issue, and he's healthy again. So, you know, I I, I love it. I, I think we got I think we've got a good tight end to eventually here, and I think we've got them, you know, at a very cheap price. So, well done to the Lions to do it. And you know, I'm just chuffed that I guessed one right. Ryan. Yep, I agree. Would you 
would you rather have Garrett Griffin or the upside of James Mitchell come up an ACL better blocker? I'll take James Mitchell all day. This ends Garrett Griffin times a lion. Uh, I expect him to be cut very quickly now. Like I said, we needed a blocking tight end and we got one. And does he need to be frustrated when to line up? No, because Brock Wright came into his own at the end of last year. And I expect with a good off-season camp as well, look, he can continue to take strides. So a, a young tight end core of Wright, like I say, now you've got James Mitchell, like I say, that's rehabbing, but solid blocker, offers red zone threat. Like I say, a good blocker. TJ, TJ can't block for shit. We've seen that. The holding penalties, he's too grabby. He gets whiffed on. He makes, he, he just, you don't want to know at times. Whereas this guy, he's a more of a natural inline tight end. He will get an assignment. He will try see it through to the very end. And he will pancake someone this year. I will put good money on it. So day three, guys, this is where you start to see the projects, the development guys, the tight end class as a whole. I've said it many times. I wasn't very high on it. I think this could be a good upside pick. I didn't want to splash too highly in some of the more, the more household names. But like I said, I know Luke G, we were live with him at times. <laughs> he almost pulled his hair out when he heard it was tight end. He was absolutely distraught. But yeah, we, we called it. Like I say, we, we thought a tight end. And, uh, I'm totally fine with it. Like I say, if we want a big name tight end, or if anything happens with TJ next year, there's some big old tight end names next year. Like I say, so it's not the year to worry about the position. I realised that on the top of the show, I, think, I can um, shout out Quirky Zerky on Twitch, who resubscribed at tier one for his second month. And he says, seven wins this year is a floor. Playoffs is a hope. Thank you very much for doing that, my man. Appreciate you. Sorry, Steve. Yeah, I was going to just say, um, I've not got much to add from what the boys have said. Um, I think, first of all, in terms of the risk on this pick, um, it's absolutely a position of need. I completely agree with, with what's just been said. You know, Hock needs some support. And also we need someone to, you know, for Hock to kind of mentor. Um, apparently the ACL that this guy um, has got is like, it's the most simple, like clean injury. Like ACLs can be really complicated, can be really messy, but this is like a really simple one and he should be able to rehab really quickly. So for me, this is a low-risk pick, a, a real position of need. And everything I read about this guy um, and, and what the boys have said, I think we've got a great value here. Figueres says, wasn't he a third-round prospect pre-injury? And I'm, I'm pretty sure yeah. that he was, with the room to elevate too if he had a good season last year. I mean, I think this... The, the, I couldn't remember exactly what we said, but if you go back to one of the earlier college football episodes when we were doing tight ends, we were both very high on him back then. So I think we did have like a third round grade on him potentially. Like as you said, the injury is not a serious one in terms of how ACLs go. And if he can do what he did at Virginia Tech, Jared Goff is significantly, significantly better than anything he's ever had thrown at him before. So he's going to love it here, I reckon. I think people will appreciate him very quickly. Got just a question on him in terms of his height and weight. Because to me, I, I, so he's 6'4", 249. As a tight end, I've he's seen a bit several... Light. Sorry? He's a bit light. Mm. I was about to say, do you think that 
I mean, at six four, maybe there is room to put a bit more meat on that. But then does he perhaps lose a bit, lose a bit of his receiving ability? I don't know what you guys make of of him actually transitioning to the pros because I swear I've seen guys with that sort of height weight being kind of listed as this sort of big receiver mantra rather than inline tight end. And you guys have both said he's an apt inline tight end. But do you think he needs to bulk up a bit? Don't don't forget he's been injured all year. That that's going to mess around with your weight. He's not a, you know, he's not a game day playing weight. What he's going to be at, so you got to take that into consideration as well. That 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 that's not his true. That's not his. Uh, that's not his true physical <laughs> stature. He'll in, put in another ten pounds on. Yeah, easily. I would, I would cool. expect he will put his weight on in camp, and then he'll go back to what he was. But you're going to lose a bit while you're injured because you're not. You know, Absolutely, I mean, it's down. Just... It's one of those things that I kind of, not knowing this guy, come in, I see that, and I think, hmm, that's going to be a bit weird. I'm sure there are a load of Lions fans out there going, we need blocking tight ends. This guy can't block at 240, so I'm glad that you've clarified that, because I'm sure there are loads of people who were mystified by by him being picked, especially Luke G, as you, as you mentioned earlier. One thing I did find quite fun was just kind of having a look at his long touchdowns. His running style is... Um, Interesting, <laughs> shall we say. He's got the speed. He's got the speed to kind of beat some of the slower guys. His route running ability is good, but he does look like he's wading through treacle a bit. He looks slower than he is. It's really, really bizarre. He's like, I don't know, it's almost like a saunter rather than a run. <laughs> so, you know, if people want to look more, I, I think it's widely available. But if you go and watch um, the opener from last year uh, when they played UNC and absolutely decimated them, Go and watch that game. He was he was great in that game. He got a receiving touchdown in it, I believe. He was blocking ever so well, you know, letting because they were moving down the field with such ease. That, that's a good game to go and watch if you want to see a bit more about him. And like I say, because of the nature of that result and how it killed Sam Howell's draft stop before he even started, I, I think it is widely available to watch. All right, let's move on to our next pick. The Lions actually traded down at this point, so we were due to pick up 181. We trade with Philadelphia, down seven spots, picking up 188 and 237. I think at the time we were reasonably happy with the pick, picking up another guy. Uh, still feel the same now, boys? Or any any sort of... Did you want to pick up 181, potentially? Given I'm who, happy. I know the player well. Given who we got, I think we can be quite happy. Mm. On that point, we did take at 188 the linebacker Malcolm Rodriguez from Oklahoma State. And I'm just going to throw this straight over to Anne, who's going to be having an article coming out about him shortly. I know that you know a bit about him already. So what have you seen from Rodriguez and why are you so encouraged by the pick? I know you were quite happy. Well, yeah, because I remember on our day two recap episode, I think Steve asked me if there were any linebackers worth a damn left on day three. And Rodriguez was the only one I would have been interested in by this point. I mean, this guy hits like a truck. And I I think that's the politest way to put it. He hits like a truck. He hits running backs like a freight train. He is a a forced fumbling machine because of how he tackles. And it's not like it's in a, a dangerous, aggressive way. It's in a very controlled, very, you know, he goes for the turnovers. He can change games on some of these tackles. He can change the momentum of things completely. And, you know, I, I just love this aspect of him. I just, we really needed this hard hitting 
but controlled, hard-hitting linebacker in our midst who's going to make a running back think twice about getting into our second level if they get through. Because, like I say, when he hits you, you stay down. And he, he was a big part of the Oklahoma State offense last year. They went on and, you know, they had a really good season. There were some good parts of that defense there, but he, he was one of the leaders in there. It brings your leadership straight away. Like I say, he brings you this hard-hitting, nasty, knee-biting nature, which is exactly Dan Campbell's style. And, you know, I, I, I loved both linebacker picks we had in the draft here, but, but this guy especially, I think he's going to make his – I think he's going to state his case for the first team very, very quickly here. I think he's – we don't have someone like him. I know, I know we've got Barnes, and I love Barnes. I love Barnes's ability to blitz through the gaps and be able to go hunting after the running backs in the backfield. But I love this guy's ability to be able to – hit at the line of scrimmage. And if the interior defensive line is breached, he will be there to plug and make plays. And, you know, it's just, again, you're at day three of the draft, so you may be throwing darts a little bit, but this guy's strengths, if you harness them and utilize them correctly, they become worth far more than a day three pick really, really quickly. But I think people are going to love the aggressive nature of him, his leadership style, just everything he brings to it. And, you know, he's all right in coverage as well. He's, he's not amazing, but he can do his job in coverage as and when required. And I think he's got a good mentor next to him there. So, yeah, I know, I know Ryan is with me on this one. I know he loved it. I love this. You know, Lions knocked out of the ballpark for the day three picks. He's a big threat to a lot of the players on the team already. I, this position is wide open. He could very well be a day one star. He only slid in the draft because he's got some of the shortest arms in the entire draft. Like the physical measurements of Fortune where he got let down. Like he's scraping six foot and he's built like a T-Rex. Like he's got little little arms. But that doesn't take away that I believe he's the Oklahoma State leader in franchise history and like false fumbles. The guy is a bloodhound. He smells the ball, he sees the ball, goes hits the ball. Does he miss tackles sometimes because he can be a bit over-aggressive or because he wants to get the ball? Sure. But is there a reason that he's played for four years, got like nearly 300 tackles, ridiculous stats, captain for multiple years and one of the most respected players in his position and might go down as one of their best defenders maybe in recent decade history? Yeah, because he's very well-respected. He's tough. He's great. He plays bigger than his size. And... He's someone we needed. Like I say, we're not good against the run. Like I say, we can be very porous through the middle and he fills a position of need. Like I say, an inside linebacker. Okay, in coverage, yeah. Like I say, you don't want him going again up against someone massive with a huge wingspan because they'll, they'll go over him or go around him, but he'll hold his own. But this is one of the rookies you can expect to see in rotation probably a lot quicker than others because I think he'll learn very quickly at next level. Steve? Yeah, I think, um, uh, you know, I, uh, wherever I can, I always give kudos to And. And I think uh, we were at quite a, it was very late in the draft. It was maybe past 2 a.m. And we were, I think I pulled up the consensus board for linebackers left. And I think Rodriguez was six on there. And I read the names of that to And, and Ant just said straight away, Malcolm Rodriguez. Like there was no hesitation. He didn't look at the first five names. He was like, number six, Malcolm Rodriguez. And um, it's just really interesting in terms of reading up from what everyone else has said about this guy. I think Ryan's absolutely right. This guy's a threat 
to a lot of other players on the roster um, and has got the potential to make a massive impact and also could be a massive fan favourite in terms of, you know, like an exocet missile in the backfield, just making some violent tackles. I'm really looking forward to seeing this guy play. And I think we've, you know, we've got fantastic value. This is a great pick. And by God, we needed it at linebacker. Yeah, we really did. Just to put some meat on those bones of these stats, 408 tackles in his college career, which is insane. His last year, including three sacks, he had 16 tackles for loss, which is unbelievable. Uh, Ryan mentioned that he might be the, the force fumble leader. I'm not sure if he is, but he did have 13 in his college career, including seven in one season in 2020, which is crazy. Um, I had a look at Raz just because why not throw, show some love to Kent Lee Platty, our, our friend who's been on, on the show before. And the number one guy I can see that is like him in terms of measurables is someone that the Lions faithful, especially the Michigan fans, are going to be very, very familiar with, which is Devin Bush. Basically the same height, basically the same weight, basically the same speed. Basically the same explosion. Down the balls, pretty much the same guy, apart from a bit of a shorter ball jump. And he's much, much stronger on the bench. On the bench, in this draft, the number one guy at the combine was Chad Moomer with 27 reps. In his pro day, he did 36. Like, there was no one close to him in terms of the bench. And when you have a look at the way he hits the way he can hold up in, in run defense, it absolutely shows up on tape. Is he going to be Devin Bush? Well, I mean, Devin Bush hasn't worked out the not. best. <laughs> but but you could, I, I actually, now I, I put that down there, I don't, I don't not see it. I, I can't say no, he's not Devin Bush, because that speed, the athleticism, the strength, the hard-hitting nature of him, they, it does show up. See, yeah, exactly. And I can guarantee you that Dan Campbell was sat there at his laptop with a semi watching his highlights because he would, that is exactly the type of guy he wants to, you know, he wants to draft, you know, these guys who are football guys who hit hard, who play hard, never take a rep off leaders and a, you know, great in the locker room. And, and he exemplifies all of that. And I mean, State won the Big 12 last year, didn't they? Right. Am I thinking right? So, yeah, yes. they, they, you know, this team dethroned Oklahoma, which were expected to run away with it. That's the sort of season they had. You know, that defense was miserly against some really good offenses as well, against a lot of names we're going to see in the league this year. So, yeah, he, he screams Dan Campbell all across the board. And, you know, I, I can't wait to see him. He's low-key one of the best picks we made, I reckon. He's a gym rat. He's going to be pissing a lot of cups and getting a lot of drug tests because he works out like he lifts heavy, heavy weights. He looks like the kind of guy that does steroids. He is jacked up. Right. Let's move on from this. And apologies to the viewers for Ant's vulgar nature there, but we'll move on. Whoa. <laughs> it's hardly the most vulgar thing that's been said on this pod. I'm just making fun. If you don't think Dan Campbell wasn't sat there salivating over his highlights, then you're wrong. Yeah, salivating wasn't quite what you said. We'll move it on <laughs> to number 217. And it was the 
edge slash linebacker James Houston IV from Jackson State via Miami? Or was it Florida? It was Florida, wasn't it? Florida. Um, Florida. My mistake. Um, yeah. So the, the transfer played outside linebacker, not as a starter at Florida. They transferred to Jackson State and had what can only be described as an unbelievable year. 70 tackles, 52 solo, 24 and a half uh, tackles for loss, including 16 and a half sacks and seven forced fumbles, two fumble recoveries, an interception, two defensive touchdowns. Like, you can't say any more about this guy and what he produced on the stat sheet last year. Um, I know that Ant and, and Rye were both huge on this because he has come from a historically black college um, or university. Uh, I'll throw it open to you guys to talk about James Houston. I mean, you know, I would, uh, when the pick came in, and I, I remember being on the panel, I was like, oh, I'm yeah. really going to like this one. Like, so you know who this kid is. Do you know what I like? This kid has, has turned everything around. Like, you say, like, if you go back to Florida, people don't know what happened. He was dismissed from the team. He was involved in something really bad. Uh, like I said, there was a scam and a, a lot of players got involved. Like I said, there was, there was a credit card fraud scam and he was dismissed from the Florida team and he found himself having to find somewhere to go and that's lingered with him now for a few years. Like I said, Jackson State, like I said, Deion Sanders, he has brought a wealth of talent there. Like I said, there's a lot of guys that want to go play for him. Like I said, and some have done really well. And last year, he just had one of those all-round, like, Madden kind of years where he does every single thing. He got a stat, like, on every field possible. He dominated the field. The problem, DA problem, as his nickname is, like, there's a call that for a reason because you have to account for him wherever he's lined up on the field. And he, he makes offensive linemen quick in their boots because he, he is a wrecking machine. He can singly take apart an offensive scheme when he's on the field. I think he'll play as an outside linebacker. Don't think he'll be an edge at next level, which for me is fine. Like I said, I think he he's probably more of a threat to Julian Aquara than he is Aquara or Charles Harris, which is fine by me. I I don't know how we're going to use him, but I can't wait to see him play because the guy's got a huge chip on his shoulder. He's cocky, swagger. He's got an attitude about him, but he's had one of those years where he's put it all together. Sure, you can talk about the competition. He's going to step up well, but in the last few years, FCS, a lot of them have come up at the next level and they've made an impact felt. So I think now we're moving past that field where you can't just judge them against the competition they've played against. And he's been in a big locker room, like you say. He's been at a big program like Florida. It humbled him his time there and we're getting the best version of him right now. He's the best of himself that he can be. And... The fact that he got drafted, he will be so blessed to be here. Like I say, I can't think of anyone that's more happy that someone took a chance on him, and he's uh, he's going to play like that. Yeah, me, me and Ryan got really giddy over this pick. Um, goes back to cause when we were covering the East-West Shrine Bowl when that was on one of the teams there. Their, their linebacker core was James Houston and Diego Fago, the linebacker from Navy, and we said if either of those lands on our team in this draft, we're going to be very happy because Fago's put up great numbers with the Navy midshipmen and both of them, are, they're quite similar. <laughs> they love to get in an opposition backfield and they love to stay there and they love to cause pandemonium and, you know, this guy's probably, he's 
well, I think he's definitely the better of the two. And the fact that we've got him so late in this draft, again, I've said that, you know, Loki, this, these, some of these could be the best picks we've done in this draft. I, I, I was delighted with day three. I love it because I can genuinely see all these guys becoming integral parts of this team. And that's the same for Houston. Don't worry about the fact he's gone to Jackson State. I mean, hell, he's got Deion Sanders as his coach, who's one of the greatest at his position who's ever done it. You know, this is a guy who is making that program big. They flipped Travis Hunter this year, who was the number one prospect in the entire country. I mean, everywhere. You know, he was going to Florida State. Best guy in the entire country. They flipped him to the FCS. That's the sort of gravitas that he's got with this program. That's the sort of players that he's pulling there. A lot of former FBS guys have gone. That is a good team. And they're up against some decent level opposition. And this guy, like you say, you've got the scheme versatility. I agree with Ryan. I do not expect to see him at edge at all. I expect to see him at outside linebacker. I think that's where he is best. You have him blitzing off the edge from the outside linebacker position. I think that's going to be a perfect fit for him here. We've need of linebackers. We've got enough edges. Yes, you can mix it up and play him off there occasionally if you need to, but we've got enough depth at edge now. He's certainly a linebacker in my eyes. And, you know, you've got him and Rodriguez there now. Let me tell you, we are putting up a wall on that second level. Those two, the thing they love to do most is get after and hit running backs hard. And, you know, we've invested in that interior with high draft picks and we've invested in our second line of defense with guys who have such upside at the position that if it's tapped into and it's even partially realized, they're going to be great players. But again, yeah, like, like Ryan said here, Houston... He has turned everything around. He has humbled himself by having to drop out of the FBS. He has got to work. He has turned his entire career around. He is on an upward trajectory here. And he is a guy who is going to be desperate. I mean, desperate to prove himself at this level. And what better place than in the land of opportunity that is the Detroit Lions, who doesn't care if you're the number two overall pick or a round seven pick. You play better. You take advantage of your opportunity that spot is yours to lose. And James Houston will know that. So, you know, yeah, me and Ryan got giddy about this and rightly so. Ignore the fact he's a day three pick. He will take time to gel in. But if you see the development right there, he could, and I'm saying this as a finality, low-key be the best pick we have made in this draft. And it isn't even close if he comes close to realising his potential. What was the the, um, the kind of beef with Dion Sanders around like the tape? What what happened there? Because well, San- Sanders was really pissy about giving up the tape. tape. <laughs> we used this Florida tape because Jackson State wouldn't release his tape to us. You know, every time you draft a player, you request their tape from their school, and in our case, we requested the tape from Jackson State whatever reason, they did not get back in touch and did not give it us. So the only highlights we had available were his Florida days. And of course, as Matt said at the start, this is a a historically black college and university is part of. And Sanders felt slighted that that scene wasn't getting highlighted to the wider public because, you know, we've done a lot on the HBCU this year and it gets criminally overlooked for some of the talent you can get in there. And it really dug a bone with it. He thought it was us deliberately snubbing them. It wasn't. We just couldn't get the tape that we required from it. So it's nothing on the Lions' part at all. There's a really... HBCU players had four players drafted this year. 
that's more than the entire decade. Just this one year. You had James Houston, you had Marquise Bell, you had Decoby Durant, and there was another cornerback. Oh, uh, the Joshua guy from, Williams. Joshua Williams. So it's a fantastic year for them. That that beats their entire last 10 years in one year. There's a fabulous rep that I saw on tape this morning from him where he strip sacks Akeel Glass. And I know Ant was a big Akeel Glass fan from uh, is Alabama A&M. Correct. Yeah. And he just absolutely takes the sound. The ferocity of this guy is like something I haven't seen before. Like, he's so sudden. Like, you hear it said about other players, then you watch this guy on tape, and it's like, oh, I was wrong about the people before because he is incredible. I think you're, you guys are right that he will play off ball linebacker, but I hope we can make him work at edge because with his skill set, if he actually works out at edge, oh my God, like that, that's going to be impeccable. He's playing like a man who knows it's his last chance and that he has to do every single thing within his power to take this opportunity. And that is why you're just seeing such insane numbers from him because every single play to him is his last play and he has to make it worth his while, which is why I think he's going to fit so well with us because, you know, there's a plethora of talent here to be helped, able to aid him in his development, you know, mentorship figures here he's going to have. And like I say, if he comes in, plays his ass off and does well, he'll get a spot. You know, it's, it's entirely performance-based here and not on your name. And I think it's the perfect landing spot for him. Let's move it on to our very final pick, cornerback Chase Lucas from Arizona State. Ryan, as an Arizona State fan, knows him very well. I'll throw it straight over to him. What have you seen from Chase Lucas in the past six years? Yeah, the people, yeah, he is like 25. So that is that that is the one thing he the clock's already ticking on him. He is very experienced. I believe he started like 48 games for Arizona State. He's one of the best players in history. Like I, said, I think he matched the record for the most wins against the Arizona Wildcats with five. He has been around practically forever. And he has got this far because of the Marvin Lewis and Herm Edwards went, like I said, halfway up through his career. Two NFL caliber coaches came into Arizona State and he's flourished under them. Like I said, 5'11, 188. He's not the biggest, but he's more athletic than people give him credit for. The Rav score was, was fairly average, but compared to AJ Parker's, it was a lot better. Like I said, so he can certainly compete. The wealth of experience he brings as a slot to limited outside corner is something that can't be overlooked. Instant day one special teamer and potential starting slot corner. Like I say, he will rival AJ Parker and Mike, Mike Hughes very well. Like I say, he'll be a great camp bodder. He's an incredibly hard worker. He's very well respected. He's a leader. You don't play nearly 50 college games and be very healthy for the best part of six years because he don't take many snaps off. He has been involved in a lot of games. And his hand-eye coordination and the ball skills, very impressive. Racks up numerous passes defended year on year. People go after him every year. Oh, I can't remember it's him or Jack Jones. One of them got a pick six against Arizona in the rival game last year. Could have been chased, but he's very good on the ball. Tackling work, 
he's great. Like you say, he's very solid, good effort. It was him, wasn't it? He got the pick six last year, I believe, against Arizona. I think so. It might have been him. I, I don't I think know. it is Chase Lewis. He, I don't have a touchdown in really his good. college career on here. So. No. no, it must have been Jack Jones, I know. But this is a great value pick. I'm surprised he went this far, to be honest. I saw people signing rounds five, six. So I'm really happy that it fell to us. And he's going to be an incredibly hard worker. And he's someone else that he's joining a very, very crowded room that it's not overly experienced. Like the cornerback room we have is very young. It's a bit naive, a bit wet behind the ears. And he's already one of the oldest cornerbacks we have. And he ain't even touched the ball yet, which is kind of weird. So he's going in with a plethora of experience. Don't be surprised if he wins a starting job before the end of the year. This could low-key be one of the best value picks in the entire draft. He could be a steal of the whole draft if he can be the starting nickel corner next year. And I'm writing up on him as well. Uh, yeah. Um, you're not going to get a better summarization of a round seven pick than from a guy who supports the team he's played on because, you know, <laughs> tape is in limited supply. So I, I'm not going to add out else. I can't say anything that Ryan hasn't seen. So I, I bow to the superior knowledge of Ryan. If Ryan is happy, I'm happy. I mean, just, I love how you called his rounds average when he got an 8.9. Like, there's literally 89 percentile. That is, that is average this year, isn't it? God knows how many guys got over a 9. Eight's becoming obsolete now. Hmm. Outstanding, though. I mean, just, you can see it on tape how, how agile the guy is. His change of direction is fantastic, and that's why I guess he is getting projected to that slot position, Ryan. He, he, moves from side to side with ease. He does, yes. He stops and changes direction really well. The hips, the hips flip really nicely. I think it was, it might have been Jeremy Reisman or Dave, one of them put a clip on today where he's, he matches a corner up and then he he swips his, flips his hips back inside and bats a wall away in the end zone. Really impressive. Like I say, the quarterback puts it where he thinks he can't get it, but he manages to turn around at the exact moment, stick hand in, swipe away. And that's what you're going to get. Like I say, he, he will match up to guys that think they can overpower him. With his, he's got a very slender frame, but he makes use of what he's good at. Like I say, he's very athletic, and he's agile, he's twitchy, and he doesn't give ride receivers respect they want. I mean, the, the one thing I will say about this is, I know maybe we were surprised we went corner in round seven, but I do kind of like the way the cornerback room has fallen this year and what we've done with it. Obviously, Mike Hughes is in there as well. We all know this talent in that cornerback room, right? Like, like, let's not get it wrong. Obviously, Jeff's still to come back. Um, Amani had a really good year last year, but we've seen from, from Iffy, from AJ, from Jerry, we've seen the flashes of how good they can be. So why not add even more competition into that room and let them fight it out? And whoever rises to the top is, is going to have earned it. And to be fair, I think they will be playing at a very high level you're going to be able to beat some of these guys out with your play, I, I would like to think, you know, we're going to get some really good play this year because, you know, there's that much talent and potential in there that the cream will rise to the top and we will get the benefit of that. So I like the way the cornerback room has been done, despite the fact that really no draft capital has been put in there. I think it's been done just right. I think it's going to be... Every most... cornerback position is wide open. Not even our money right now's job is safe. 
I think it's a re- it's the most interesting position group in the entire roster. I don't know whether we carry seven cornerbacks. We probably oh. do, but we could carry only six. And Ant just listed seven. If we only carry six, one of those guys is not going to make the roster. And I don't think people are going to like who might not make it. Exactly. But again, it's what you want because that seventh guy who might not make it, you know for damn sure he's going to have pushed them all to the limit to make sure he's the guy off there. So the six who remain will have earned it. It's not like there's no other guys there. So it's not like Will Harris last year just getting a roster spot because there's no one else to play safety. It's these guys are getting cornerbacks after competition. So that's that's the good thing about what we're going to get. And I mean, God, if, if Jeff comes back and plays well, if Amani carries on doing what he's doing, if, if, if he makes the strides he was, and then you've got the young guys chasing afterwards. I mean, Jesus, you know, we got two great former DBs coaching us as well. That room could, by the end of this season, potentially be, dare I say it, great. And that's not a stretch or homer thing to say. It's what I've seen with my own eyes and the amount of potential these guys have. And that's why I like this competition thing. I didn't even mention Mike Hughes when I was doing that thing. So that's eight. So, you know, it is really going to be a fight here. And the best guys, may the best man win. Absolutely. I'm hoping uh, Jeff got... so bad. If we can only have one good call next year, I just hope it's sick. It's him. If everyone else is terrible and he has a really good year, I'm fine with that because he'll have proved everyone wrong because everyone, 97% of fans, have written him off. Yeah, way too early. Way too early. There's no one I'm pulling for more than Jeff this year. Um, we had a lot more to cover, but we're going to roll it on to our next show, including UDFAs, NFC North, rest of the NFL look. But I just want to go around the guys one last time and have a look back at the entire class now and just maybe give you a, your final thoughts on the entire thing, whether... You think we got good value, whether we covered all the bases, if there's something you would have changed, if you're happy overall, just kind of some high-level brief thoughts on, on what you thought the draft overall was for the Lions and how far you think we have come or maybe haven't and whether it's a short-term or long-term outlook. Just give us some brief thoughts. I'll start with Steve. So I'm, I'm giving this, this is like an A-minus draft for me. I, I don't think there's much we could have done um, better. Um, I loved the aggression in terms of the trade-up. I love the value that we've got throughout this draft. And I love the fact that we've really targeted all of our positional needs, maybe not in the same order that the majority of fans thought we were going to target. But I think if you look at where we've added strength and depth, for me, it's in exactly the right places. We said once the defensive draft, we went two offensive, six defensive. That feels right for me. But where we have used our offensive picks, I think we've done it really well. And Jamison Williams love that pick. So for me, this is this is like an A minus. Um, I think I think if Kirby Joseph doesn't work out and doesn't start or doesn't make progress of the season, I think that is where we could suffer because safety has just been a problem for so long. Um, but I'm confident and, you know, I love the feedback from Ant and, and Ryan from, from their college pod. Um, you know, it 
it feels like, and I like the feedback from around the league. I, th- I think we've done really well. And when you look at other teams in the NFC North, I'm not saying that we've won the draft because I think there's some really good drafts elsewhere. And I'm looking at like Kansas City and, and Baltimore, but it certainly feels like we've won the NFC North. Brian? This is going to upset people, I know it is, but knowing what I know now, I would have I would have been happy taking Sam Howell. I would have replaced Pascal with a safety, and I would have taken Sam Howell at John Kirby's pick if he's still there. Like I, said, I, I really like him. And seeing these QBs slide, there's that little niggling thought in the back Move of Move away from the quarterback. Away from the quarterback. Turn into a star. Yeah, I said it, like you say, I like Sam Howell. I'm a fan. He's a handsome guy. He's got a great beard. He'd look great in Detroit. I feel like he's going to be really sneaky. He could win the starting job. He could be the quarterback in Washington this year. And that's not a stretch. I, I agree with Ryan on that. I think he could be. Not that I draft him, but that he could be. Um, so, I'm, so my takeaways from this, my hot take, I'm not going to grade it because I don't want to, I don't want to, curse it or anything like that let's just say i'm very happy with it but my hot take is this is the best day three draft we will ever have or have ever done i don't think we are going to do a better day three again ever because i believe rodriguez and houston are going to be starting linebackers in 12 you know maximum 24 months time and i think they're both going to be damn good I think James Mitchell is quickly going to evolve into the tight end two we need. And if Chase Lucas can fight out some of those corners we've got there, I think we've had an exceptionally great day three and the value is ridiculously good. I think that's my hot take. We, we have not had a better day three draft ever. As the draft as a whole, I like what we've done. Again, we had two glaring holes on offense outside of quarterback. We were aggressive in sorting out the biggest need wide receiver one. And I, I think we were all a bit surprised, but you know, they went and got their guy, put a lot of faith in him, which as Ryan said a lot earlier, you know, Jameson Williams is going to be forever grateful for us for doing that. Players, players remember things like that. They remember when you let them slide and they don't appreciate you as much like the quarterbacks will not appreciate the guys who took them anywhere near as much as guys like this have. But Jamison Williams, like I say, he'll love the fact we've gone up and got him. We, we, we addressed tight end two in the long run. We've, we've really gone heavy after the developmental linebackers. And if we hit on them, we've solved the, we've solved the unit without spending a high pick on them. And, you know, the edge room has been transformed as well. We, we've given ourselves the pieces we need in two years the trenches have been completely and utterly, you know, transformed. And if Hank Fraley and Todd Walsh do their jobs correctly, if Hank Fraley carries on doing what he's doing, you know, we're going to be one of the meanest, nastiest teams in the trenches very quickly in this league. So I, I do like overall how the team has been built. Again, with Ryan, I'm, I, I am skeptical about the safety room, but, you know, I think we're laying the depth work there for a big guy next year. And, and I'm happy with that. And I'm happy with the cornerback room being so competitive. You know, the, the areas we've not been able to address in the draft, we, we ha- it's not like we've not done work on them. I think every area's been looked after pretty well apart from quarterback. So I'm, I walk away from this draft very happy and I'm just excited to see some of these guys play. I'm excited to do some of the film reviews on them as well because it's going to be fun. 
in short for me, just to finish this off, I think this is the best draft since I've been a fan, at least at this point in the process. In terms of how I felt at this point in the process for all of the other drafts, the last 10 years, I feel comfortable in saying I think this is the best draft I've seen at this point. The, the best thing I can think of is that there were so, so, so many fans in the pre-draft process who were asked, what do you like, what don't you like about the team at this point in time? And the number of people who said, I believe in Dan Campbell, he's won me over, but I'm yet to be won over by the GM. This should be the draft that tells you, no matter how this turns out, because luck is a massive factor in this process and you kind of account for that at this point. The decision-making and the process is the important thing. Do you think the decision-making and the process is put in place at the moment will lead to continued future success by making good decisions consistently? This is the draft that should tell you that that is absolutely in place. We have this team in place for another four draft cycles. That is the big takeaway for me. We should be on the road to continued draft success with this team in place. And that excites me no end. If we can continue this ascension, free agents will want to come to us and on cheaper deals than they've wanted to come to in the past. If we can draft well and if we can get the quarterback right, whether that's Goff making it happen this year or someone else next season of the draft, the future is incredibly bright here. And I'm really, really bullish on it. Now, this draft... Williams could bust out. Hutchinson might not be revolutionary. Pascal may just be a tweener. Joseph may not transfer those skills. Rodriguez may be too small with too short arms. Mitchell could get injured again. And Lucas could get cut. And Houston may never see the field. All of those things could happen. It's within the realm of possibility. But if you have a look at the skill set they all have, they're all terrifically good picks in their own right. It's the first draft I can remember where we basically don't have to justify one of the picks in our own head. Pascal on the borderline. But you have a look at what the media have said about him and what other people have said about him when they've come out and actually said, I actually really like this pick. I can't remember another draft when we've done something like this before. So I love the process. I can't wait to see what the next five years are going to all, all, all I would really add on to this now is, you know, we've seen the draft, we've got the players in there. Now we need to have the development like we did this, you know, last season, you know, seeing the rookies, the UDFAs come through and progress, stake the place in this team and keep getting better. Because for me, you know, there are expectations this year now. Mm. I'm, I'm, there are no excuses for me anymore. I don't want to hear the word tank. I don't want to hear the word losing, you know, the phrase losing season. I don't want to hear none of this. The next progression for this team is winning games. And I will stand by this to the day I die. I don't want my rookies been in a losing team year after year after year after year, not knowing how to win games. We only got three last year. We could have had more. That showed earlier in the season. We were a bit naive. Some plays we took off and it, and we paid for it. But towards the end of the season, you saw that ability to really knuckle down and, and start to win. And we need to carry on with that this year. I think we need to be looking at seven or eight wins. We certainly need to be finishing above the Chicago Bears. I would have massive red flags about this team if they can't beat that shower of 
you know what, next season. There are expectations now. We have drafted well, we have done our off-seasons well, and now is the time when we really have to start putting end results out there. And if you want to come at me and tell me that losing another year is fine, I will argue you till the day I die. That, that You know, this team needs to progress on the field this year and win games. That's all I'm saying. And I'm going to be hyper-critical next season. I know I'm one of the guys who's always the, you know, the, the Kool-Aid chug around here, but I've always said I've been realistic. We didn't expect it last year, rightly so, but this season coming up, it's about winning games, making sure these rookies are battle-hardened and ready to go when it matters. And I fully expect us with this offence and our defence now developing right, we've no excuses we shouldn't be winning games, especially against some of the rubbish we're up against this year. Stand and deliver. We're going to close the show there. Our next episode is going to be this time next week. Uh, subject to be discussed, I did have something else there, but with what we didn't get to today, I think we're probably going to cover the Lions UDFA class, have a look at the rest of the NSE North and how they drafted, and then a brief look at the rest of the NFL and how they drafted. Future episodes will include a way too early look at how the 53-man roster may look, amongst other things. Always open for suggestions. Please get in touch if there's anything that you'd like to see on the podcast. Just want to thank my co-hosts to Ryan and Steve and Ant, Tom, who left earlier, and to Micro Mike, who made the early appearance. If you didn't see that, you tuned in. Later, do go back and have a look at that. Absolutely love that guy. But for now, we'll see you next Monday. Just add us on our socials, like and sub, and all that good stuff. But for now, let's go, Lions. One pride. One pride. One pride. One pride.